What's up? This is the Flow Road Podcast. I'm Edgar Otraves, and on today's show, we will be doing the third installment of our musicals series. In this particular episode, I have the very funny comedian, Emily. We will be going over her list of her five favorite musicals. As always, it was lots of fun. I hope you enjoy this podcast. And if you want to support us, head on over to shop.theflowrollpodcast.com and get yourself a nice nifty throat pillow, cup, shirt, what have you. Also, follow us on Instagram at theflowroll. Now, here's the show. So welcome to another episode of the Flow Road Podcast. This is Edgar Otra Vez. And today on the show, my cohort is Emily, the very funny Emily comedian. And today... Wait, 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 wait. Am I a cohort or a co-host? I'm so confused. Does it... Uh, I don't know. You see, I haven't been... I haven't like uh, really kind Consistency, of... Edgar. Well, you see, like, I don't... Is, have I said co-host before? Um, I think you have. Should I Should I introduce you as co-host? Uh, I mean, I think everyone is kind of a co-host of each podcast, yeah? Okay, so co-host. So my co-host today is Emily. <laughs> <laughs> and we're doing... Um, Emily's five favorite musicals, uh, finally. Um, sorry that it took so long. I'm sorry that it took so long to get back to, to the... But you see, part of the problem, too, is it's like Dan jumped in the middle there, kind of disrupted stuff, and I was just like, ah, and then... Oh, Dan. Oh, there. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then, we, you know, we had that, that uh, food podcast, and, you know, you know how it is. I just think it's funny how, uh, like, we got to your musical list before mine. <laughs> well, you you said let's do mine first, and I was like, okay, well, I no, guess yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. It's just kind of funny because, like, I'm totally into musicals, and like, I was grew up like performing in musicals, and yet my list is kind of sat for a while. So I am, um, I I'll be honest, I didn't revisit it, but thanks for sending it so that I remembered what the heck I was talking about. <laughs> it's it's funny. Because because I've seen, I've like crammed watched um, like uh, Labyrinth and I can't remember what other things I saw, but there was like, um, like, because we originally had set this like two months ago, right? And oh, yeah. I had watched a bunch of them. I watched the Labyrinth, I watched all of them to get ready for this podcast. And then uh, I never got around to, to seeing, um, one of the other ones that we we're talking about and I was watching it the other night. And, uh, but anyway, let's, let's start with your list. What's, uh, what's number five going to one. If that's the way we want to do it. Oof. Yeah. Um, I would say number five for me on my list is uh, a nightmare before the nightmare before Christmas. Um, which I think most people with, um, any kind of sense have seen, um, you don't really have to love music in order, not that, you know, everybody likes music, but you don't have to like musicals in order to enjoy um, The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's one of those, um, it's a Tim Burton film, animated. 
it's one of those films that I it brings together my two favorite holidays first of all Halloween and Christmas and there's just so much magical um animation in this movie and humor I think probably one of my favorite things about the nightmare before Christmas and and forgive me because I have not revisited my list recently um my number one I've definitely watched a thousand times but the nightmare before Christmas I would say I've watched probably 20 times in my life around there um but I think that the evil characters, you know, the little kids. Yes, I love those little kids. Those are like, I have never laughed so hard in my life as when you see those little evil kids walk around. And now, of course, I am like Googling and looking up what the heck they're called um, or their names, rather. Um, they're all like a play on words or something. Yeah. Yeah. So like the main characters in Nightmare Before Christmas are Jack Skellington, who people all seem to think is voiced by Johnny Depp, which it is not. It is one of the few Tim Burton movies where Johnny Depp is not making an appearance. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's, it's Chris Sarandon. Yeah, but it's very possible that um, Tim Burton was inspired by Edward Scissorhands and kind of the way Johnny Depp looked in the 90s, 80s and 90s for this character. Um, at the same time, yeah, no Johnny Depp, sorry. And then you have Sally, the character that is all sewn back together. Um, yeah. I actually have a friend who has tattoos all over her body that look like Sally. Wow. Um, it's that's that's really dedication. I don't think I'd ever go that far with any kind of tattoo scheme. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she's very she's very passionate about Sally. And then you've got um, the doctor, the evil doctor, Finkelstein. And then um, is it Finkelstein or Steen in the movie? I can't remember how they pronounce it. Yeah, um, I'm looking. I don't I can't, I can't remember if they pronounce it the way Frankenstein is pronounced or if they say Steen like um, like the more Jewish um, pronunciation. But either way, the doctor is wacky. And then you've got the Oogie Boogie Monster. Oogie Boogie which, Man. Love him. Oh, man. I don't know. So I'm wondering, have your kids seen this movie? And when they first saw it, were they scared? Because I heard a lot of kids were afraid of like the bugs and the worms and the grubs and all the stuff kind of coming out of Oogie Boogie Man. They, uh, my son didn't like it for a while. It was weird because he was fine with it for a minute. And then he got kind of old, old enough to kind of realize what was going on and it spooked him out. But just recently, like very recently after Christmas, we saw it and he was fine with it. My daughter loves that movie, but she, she does get a little tweaked out. Like she, she like it, it frightens her. I'll tell you the movie that scares the crap out of them is that uh, Kubo. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Wait, what scares them in that? There's a scene where like they call for Kubo and the ants first show up, like like the the the, the ants from oh. the spirit world. And they show up and, mm. and they go, and it was like, we went to see this at a movie theater. There is nothing. It was like a, everybody <laughs> there was families. Everybody had kids, little ones, like little, little, little ones. And my kids were little. And when that came out and the, and the, and the ants were like, everybody brought their kids and thinking 
it's a cartoon, it's a family movie. Every freaking kid in the movie theater started crying. My kids started freaking oh. out. It was it was <laughs> horrible <laughs> and hilarious. No. It sounds like it. Oh it was, my god, that's so funny. Yeah. I had to I had to stand up and and I think we ended up taking one of my kids out. Like I think my son couldn't take it. Like we took him out. Because he's little, he was little, little, and uh, but my mm. daughter was like five. That movie came out about four or five years ago. Something like that, yeah. But like, yeah. Uh, once we got over that hump, they kind of stuck it out. But it was, but the animation and the way everything looked and the darkness did not help. Nightmare Before Christmas did not do that to them. They they like Nightmare Before Christmas. They find the whole. Uh, and we've talked about this before in the other musical podcasts, because this is also kind of like produced by Tim Burton or whatever. He's a writer on this movie. And he, uh, he, he, he has that, that play on like, oh, you have this dark thing, but it's also kind of, but he's making it light. He's making, it's funny. And, you know, it, and it, it wasn't like completely dark. So that was enough to kind of let them sit through the movie, you know, like it's not, it doesn't scare them. It, it creeps them out a little bit, but it's, mm. it's, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not a horror movie for them. Yeah, no. And I mean, your kids have seen perhaps a couple of movies that are a little adult for them in terms of scariness, probably. So they might have a higher tolerance. Some kids see stuff like nightmare before Christmas and they're terrified and I'm like, okay, come on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there are much scarier films out there, but um, oh, so the the henchmen of Oogie Boogie are those little kids who are very young. They're supposed to be like five, six years old, and their names are Lock, Shock, and Barrel. I just looked it up. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so I forgot about this part though. So Lock is voiced by Paul Rubens, who is Pee Wee Herman. Holy cow! Uh, shock. Yes, I did not even know that. I, I don't know how I complete. As soon as I saw the name Paul Rubens, I'm like, that's Pee Wee Herman. But I had, I totally forgot that he had voiced that. And then Shock is Catherine O'Hara, who is very popular right now because she's the mom on Schitt's Creek and she won a bunch of Emmys. And she's also the mom from Home Alone as well from a million years ago. Yep. And then uh, Beryl with Danny Elfman, who obviously wrote the music for the film. And Danny Elfman does the music for like all of Tim Burton's movies for the most part. And I think he's just like one of the most talented people out there for sure. Yeah. He also, but some of the voices. Kids, I think, this, I think the thing that scares me about those kids though, is the fact that like, they're so they're funny, but they're so evil for little children. And also like, I mean, obviously they're comic relief for the film that has like some darker moments and some melancholy with Sally and with Jack, but um melancholia i should say but the best part about these little like evil kids is that they're not like super loyal to the boogie monster they're like just causing crap to happen and they're like just like little evil demon kids and i and i just think that that's so indicative of how some little kids are where it's like they have like an adult sensibility about them while being children you know what i mean yeah 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 totally like it's uh they're they're just the agents of of chaos they're not they don't have an allegiance to anyone. They just want to make trouble. And, and that's like a lot of little kids because that's, 
that's what they do. They want to just make themselves laugh. And, and some of the ways to do that is to cause trouble for other little kids or other people, you know? Well, even just kids think about with adults, like when you realize that an adult will laugh at a joke or something you do, you're going to keep doing that behavior, even if it's bad, which is why parents are always saying, and you know this too well, like, oh, you can't laugh at that when they say that or do that. It's not good. They're not going to learn to not do it. But it's so funny. You can't help but laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Although, I, I mean, I know your kids are not around like, you know torturing people or ruining um the christmas town or anything but no, um no. it's that element of like just um it's mischief. i'm trying to come up with the right word yeah it's just really mischief there's no evil evil per se although some of the stuff they do is a little wacky but you have to remember i mean you keep grounding yourself in the fact that this is an animated film and this is this would be very different if they were actual human characters yeah for sure and the other thing, too, is it's like their nature. They live in Halloween town. So mm-hmm. uh, for being where the, the the types of, you know, entities that that live in such a town, they're actually, you know, they're not too bad. You know, they could be worse. You know, they, I mean, all they did was kill I mean, Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had a comment to him, that guy, you know, Come on. <laughs> yeah, what's he doing going around being but- all jolly? Yeah, like, come on. And I think about it. If you were part of Halloween Town where everything is supposed to be spooky and scary, you can't have a nice guy coming around bringing people presents. That's bad for business. So, yeah. But um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the songs. So this is Halloween being like the most prevalent. Obviously, most people remember this is Halloween. This is Halloween. It's Mm -hmm. very much like a central song um, in the film and an early song as well. But I really like the songs that are, again, more um, melancholy, like the one that uh, Danny Elfman performs, I believe, which is Jack Skellington's song um, talking about, you know, his dreams of what could be. And um, he has other aspirations outside of this little Halloween world that he's part of. And there's something very sweet and sad. And um, I think a lot of people, it taps into something in both adults and kids, I think. And I think that's the power of Danny Elfman's music because so often we saw him score movies for Tim Burton, but now he's actually writing songs that have lyrics that kind of bring that melancholy sound um, and pair it with kind of these lyrics that are touching and relatable and um again there's the funny songs too there's the kidnap the sandy claw song <laughs> and um, oh man that i mean there's just so many great moments with the oogie boogie monster but i do again i do remember a lot of people telling me their kids were scared of that song because he's kind of got that ursula from little mermaid sea witch vibe it's very body and it's very like oh ho ho yeah and he's like this big guy and he's got this like burly sound to him um so i could see how it would be scary but i personally just watch it and i laugh and laugh and laugh and i'm actually forgetting the year when was it released 93 it sounds about right um so I was only about 11 years old. That's hard to believe. I feel like that movie came out way later, but... it's No, it's 1983. I, wow, wow. See, 
I, I must have been a pretty adult. I would have then been just 11. I, yeah, I, I felt, I feel like I saw it when I was 15, which tells me, but I saw it when it came out, which tells me that I was mature beyond my years at 11 to see it. And I didn't see anything scary about it. But again, when you have movies like this, sometimes people take their five-year-olds and then the five-year-olds crying for days. So you never yeah. know. Yeah. No, I think the other thing too, is it's like a movie like this is so great. Cause it's, it's it it it's it's got the whole weirdness that 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 two-sidedness to it that we that I mentioned before but also it doesn't patronize kids it it doesn't yeah. it doesn't talk down to them it, it it it's it's just a movie that kids can watch and none of it is 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 kind of like playing down right they they can uh, any child and this is the, this is a problem with some movies and some and some you know content for kids it's always like the making the kid even kind of playing down to them kind of even making it worse like like infantizing the content instead of kind of trying to mature the person that's watching it and the whole aspirations like you mentioned you know he wants something more he's tired of Jack Skeleton is tired of living in the world that he lives in. He knows it too well, right? And so he wishes he could have something different. You know, if a, if a child can interpret that, how how great a movie, you know? Like a, a kid can actually have an opportunity to, to, to watch a movie that might interest him and then have a chance to interpret symbolism and, and, and kind of embrace art. And I, I, I love... Well I love how how they do this in that movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I actually, I know this is a movie I picked, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the stop, um, the stop motion animation, because that, I think that I have loved so many movies that have come since this film in the animation sphere, but at the same time, I really like stop motion. Like I'm a really big fan of it. I was not a big fan of it in my uh, younger years, but this movie was kind of like the one that kind of made me really appreciate it because it is very difficult. It is very, very difficult to achieve, especially at the level that they did this movie because they're not just moving the character and, and, and then like moving, you know, and taking a picture. They're changing the pieces on the set they're doing they've made multiple faces to kind of mm. mimic the animation mimic the movement of of the face there there's got to be hundreds of little faces with different variations of smiles for for Jack Skellington just Jack Skellington alone that is super difficult and they had to kind of make sure because there there's pages and pages of how you're supposed to kind of set this art together or set the the scene together for every frame etc it is it must have been ooh so difficult it, it's definitely it, it definitely doesn't receive the attention and praise that it deserves i mean it, this movie in particular did but i'm just saying the level of perfection that they have in this movie is amazing and i i think it set the bar really high for animation stop motion going forward but i think more than anything the jarringness 
of stop motion, that that little kind of stutter step, that un that unsettling movement really lends itself to this particular kind of genre, which is kind mm-hmm. of horror. You know, it's a little, it's a light horror, yeah. horror light, but it's macabre, 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 yeah, she's not very good at pronouncing that word. I'm always like, what are you trying to say? Um, but but I think that um, I read somewhere when you factor in all the pre-production with storyboards and all of that, I think it took them about like three years or four years to make this because of the stop motion, which, you know, is a pretty long timeline for something like that. But it's so seamless in comparison to some of the stop motion stuff I've seen in the past. So I understand where you're coming from. Like I've seen films and shows where I'm like, I'm not really into this because it's so stunted, but this was like seamless throughout. I mean, this team that worked on this, I mean, it's Disney, right? So it's yeah. at the highest level it can be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's just the, the, the level of it, it, the level of like technical, uh, it, it, it's yeah. just so technically well-made it's, it is definitely when I saw it, I was just like, I've never seen stop motion as good as this. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I honestly, even, even when I saw it in school, even in like some of the professional films that I studied in school, like even those films all look like uh, the Christmas movies with, you know, um, Red Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? So the stop motion looked like that. This, the stop motion mm-hmm. in this, in this particular film was way above that. It, it is, plus, I mean, I'm sure another, there was a lot of, technical advancements, better cameras, better equipment, better things to make uh, the puppets and other uh, armatures, etc. It is, I, I know about the craft and in this and in this films and films since then, I have a deep appreciation for it. I cannot do it. It is very hard, you know? Can I make a, I could probably make a doll that you can animate I could probably do some of that, but the, 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 the patience and the ability mm. to work through some of the tedium, tedium of, of creating the animation for a film like this, I just don't have. It is, they must have, also to do it in three years sounds kind of fast to me. They must have been working like 12 hour days. Well, I mean, just think about it. If they had a smaller production team and they weren't Disney funded, this is something that could take 10, 15 years to even accomplish. Jesus Christ. Imagine that working I mean, on a- it's so it's but I totally agree with you. Like it's there's um my patience does not lend to something like that, right? It's something that these people are so passionate about it and it's so intricate that you really have to be at the top of your game probably again working crazy long hours of course you're getting paid well but at the end of the day you want to see it come to life the right way so that's what it's about yeah and and some of the and again the uh tim burton aesthetic the like the scene in the cemetery where he's singing by himself and like Mm -hmm. that lonely song and he's coming around that 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 little cliff that kind of unrolls itself that scene with the moon it's so iconic, right? I mean, they even put it on the covers of their of their of the DVDs and stuff, but it's so beautiful. And every every single scene, 
like it's just so it's such it's just such a beautiful movie i love that movie and you know what's funny though is that i was not in love with corpse bride which was the 2005 movie that followed this from tim burton um I remember seeing it because I heard the corpse bride's name was Emily. And I'm like, well, that's cool. It's a dead Emily. I like that. Um, but cause I'm, cause I'm morbid like that, but, but that film is, it was the first stop motion movie to be shot digitally, but it was still stop motion. And it just didn't have the same, it didn't change the landscape. I think the way nightmare before Christmas did, I think the nightmare before Christmas is a very special movie and Corpse Bride was kind of like its sloppy second, to be honest. I I, I have to agree with you. I I absolutely agree. I I like Corpse Bride, but it, it was not. It, it's not. It's not Nightmare Before the Christmas. Before Christmas. There's something about um, again, like it took so long to just get to the technological um, technological point of getting something like Christmas made. And so naturally you're going to cite your, you're going to put your sights pretty high in terms of what you expect for a follow-up type film, even though it wasn't like, you know, related or it wasn't a, a sequel or anything, but coming from the same people, I was just, it's not the same. And I think sometimes again, when you have something that changes the landscape and is so like iconic, like nightmare before Christmas was, I think that it's hard to match that, you know, and that's just one of those things, but no offense to Corpse Bride, it's not a bad movie, but it just it it doesn't have the same effect on me that um, uh, Christmas had. It, it just yeah, I mean Nightmare Before Christmas. The idea was original too, you know, like everything about it. Mm-hmm. It was a first time for like everything it did. So it, it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to it's kind of of a hard act to follow. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's not fair to compare necessarily, but um, it is still stop motion though. And of course, technology came further by 2005 from 93. And yet I still love Christmas more than I love Corpse Bride. Yeah. Another one is James and the Giant I mean, the Peach. story has so much to do with that too, though, right? The story is what makes something at the end of the day. You can make something beautiful all day long. You can blow up a bunch of cars and do all this crap in movies. If it doesn't have a good story, it's not going to land with an audience. That's all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think the other thing that, that this movie has in terms of staying power is because it's a holiday movie, right? So people are going to watch this movie every holiday, especially now, right? I mean, now that you can pretty much get anything on demand, you know, uh, the, the things yeah. that we watch this, this Christmas and we've been watching every Christmas for like the last three years is Home Alone, you know? Like nobody, nobody would even think about Home Alone, but it it it's because it's a Christmas movie. People think about Home Alone, so there's there's I think that's one of the 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 benefits that it has is that it's a Christmas story slash Halloween story, and so people rewatch that movie Um, because I mean he made uh, they also made James and the Giant Peach, which. I love that movie. That movie is mm. a great movie. And it's, I think, up there with Nightmare Before Christmas. But again, Nightmare Before Christmas has the benefit of leaning on holiday, uh, on the holiday theme. And James and, and the that's, Giant And that's the winning combination just because of that, like you said. So many people love Christmas. All of my friends are Halloween freaks like me, who I'm not as obsessive as some of my friends believe me. I've got the friend with the Sally tattoos. I've got friends who their house looks like Halloween 
every single day of the year. I'm not like that, <laughs> but it is my favorite holiday. And I, I can see why it would be a movie you would want to watch on both holidays with your family. And it can become a tradition that way. And it brings together different groups of people because Christmas people are very different from Halloween people. Absolutely. Christmas people are all about like, let's keep the lights up until February and warmth and cozy and family and hot cocoa. <laughs> and Halloween people are fucking weird. It's just how it is. <laughs> and yeah. I say that as a Halloween person, okay? <laughs> no, no, it's totally cool. I'm a Halloween person too. I absolutely am weird. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, you're not supposed you to, to agree. <laughs> no, I know. I know. You, you, you shut your head. I know. <laughs> so for anybody, so for people listening, um, Edgar has his screen off. He can see me, but because I have my screen on, but I can't see him. So in case you hear me talk over him, it's not because I always talk over everyone all the time, which is true. It's because I legit can't tell when he's talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I'm trying to save on the bandwidth. Um, I, I think it's behaving itself. Maybe, maybe I should turn it back on. But um let me, let me we're good right now. You can try it to see if we don't, you know, the world won't end. We won't like shut down the government or anything. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we're, we're not. We're not All right, how about the next movie? How about the next movie? Yeah, what's 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 next on your list? Number four, I think, uh was once. Nice. Which is um very different from uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, <laughs> did you end up watching this one? I watched most of it. I did not get to finish it. But um, I, I've What were your a, thoughts before well, I talk about it? Well, Dan talked about it. Or should I talk about it first? Well, here, let me, let me, let me say what, what kind of caught me. Because Dan already kind of... Because I told Dan, just it was on his list. And I told him just just shoot for it. I don't care if you spoil it. Right. Cause I've seen the movie. I just couldn't remember. I just didn't remember it all. So I needed to rewatch. And I remember being kind of bored originally. Right. So he described it as being, I can see, I can see that. I could see that just based on the kind of movies I know you gravitate towards. I could see how you would maybe be like, Oh, where's this going? <laughs> <laughs> I was originally, and so, like, uh, I was watching it, and um, man, it, it 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 has a really good hook right in the beginning. I I don't know what happened. I'm I mean, this movie's an older movie. I'm I I think I watched it in college. I don't remember how old. I I didn't write the. Oh no no! It came out in 2007. So you were out of college. Bro. I was out. I was out of college. Okay, so then yeah. I was younger, but not that young. But it was. I don't know. It just didn't grab me the first time. And I remember everybody talking about this movie. It was a, a big, a big deal. Uh, Cause it was made on a string on a, like a shoestring budget. And the, the, I, I think the, the script was basically an outline. There were no, like there was no real dialogue written. Mm -hmm. So when I rewatched it recently, I sat down and there's that scene in the, in the beginning where, you know, the dude like tries to steal his money out of the guitar, right? Out of the little guitar case. So I'm like, oh, that's entertaining, you know? So, you know, I'm semi-interested at that point. But when girl, because that's her name in the movie, when the girl meets the guy for the first time, 
I don't know what it was. There's something super sweet and super interesting about that first interaction. It wasn't, I, I think the fact that they were, I don't know what it was. Is it because they're, is it because it's unscripted? Is it because they're not real actors, you know, or I shouldn't say not real actors, but they're not, they're, and acting is not, you know, them being an actor is, is not their thing. I don't know what it was, but I was, I was like, oh, I'm in now, you know, like I started watching it and I was, I was hooked. I just liked that kind of interplay and it just kind of grew slowly. And I'm like, this movie is nice. This is a nice romantic movie. And then when he was singing that, that like heartfelt ballady song in the middle of the night and she ran into him again, that song is so emotional and i'm like mm -hmm. damn this guy can sing you know so i i'm really liking this movie i can't wait to see the rest of it you know um it's unfortunate i haven't had a chance but i i really i mean i really do like this movie it's uh it's the quietness too there isn't like all that you know that mm -hmm. that music that hollywoody kind of music that they play from oh we're going into the next scene da, 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 you know and it's a it's it's a, it's a musical that you kind of would almost mistaken for just a regular movie it's not it's it's a musical that sneaks up on you because there are moments where he's just singing by himself you know like in his room or whatever and it's you you think oh he's practicing or maybe he's having a moment as he's practicing you know he's he's thinking about Edgar Edgar can we stop the podcast so I can watch the movie again because I love it so much. <laughs> well I'm just saying like that moment that that moment he's he I don't know what what made him start singing probably he just wanted to practice but then he starts having this emotional kind of remembrance of things of the ex or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is a this is a see, this would be a musical thing. This is where everybody jumps into the street and starts singing their heart out, right? But you're not doing that. You you kind of like you fooled me. Like I didn't know this was like if I didn't know I was watching, this is a this is basically a like a for real musical. And I and I found it super interesting the way they did it. Just the the kind of I, I don't want to call it sneaky, but I don't know what else to call it. It just kind of, you don't realize it's a full-fledged musical. There's no tap dancing in the middle of the street. There's no like da-da-da-da-da-da-da and like singing in the rain umbrella kind of stuff. It's, but it's a musical. It it just, you don't, you don't see how they performed it, like how they did that part of it, but it's in there. And I, that part of it is so cool to me. I, I like it because it's not in your face. It's like there's a musical number. No, he's not doing that. But there is a musical number, and it's and it and it does all the things that a musical does. It like he reveals his feelings, or you at least feel what he's what he's feeling during the moment of the song, which is kind of what musicals do. They reveal your inner thoughts or feelings while you're singing. Um, so cool. Uh, <clears throat> I I just um. If there was one, if there, if I have one complaint, I, I wish they would have just used a better camera. That's uh -huh. my, that's my only complaint. 
and it's not it's not even a I don't even know if it's a real complaint because I do like the aesthetic of the kind of the the realness of the video camera that mm -hmm. they used or whatever they used because there's a graininess to it. But I, um, I think some people definitely felt like maybe that part felt. Um, I mean, again, I think their budget was around a hundred thousand dollars, something like that, and I mm -hmm. think it made twenty or thirty million dollars at the box office, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons I enjoy it so much is, well, I'm part Irish, so there is a very Irish sense to it. Of course, he's the Irish musician, the guy, as he's known, and then mm -hmm. the girl, um, she's not Irish. So they have a kind of interesting relationship because they come from different places. But I think that it has a very Irish tone to it in that it's not trying too hard. Um, and I think that even if they'd had a bigger budget, it would have that same sensibility because it's very raw. It's very simple. It's very heartfelt. And in, and as we were just talking about a bit, like movies that just blow things up in Hollywood, things like La La Land, mm -hmm. where it, it had its moments, but it's such a slap in your face. Like, Oh, here comes the musical number kind of garbage that I don't enjoy and Hollywood really has a hard time distinguishing between the difference between what like love and romance are and just like sex because to sell a movie. And this is a movie that is showing two people coming together, but there's not, oh, will they or won't they? Or there's not sexual tension. It's really just a love story that's brought together by their love of music, which is what else should a musical be except about the music. Mm -hmm. um, and so the characters are played by Glenn Hansard and Marketa Irglova. Um, so basically they're both in Dublin, Ireland, and um, you know, they're, they're both struggling. He's got, again, his music, he's playing on the streets. He's got people trying to steal his cash and his change. <laughs> um, and they're both kind of just, they come together kind of because they're different, but also they're the same. And they found a way to bring these two musicians together who had been involved previously um, as a band called The Swell Season. So they were already, you can tell when they start playing together, like these people have played together before, obviously. There's none of that like really uncomfortable, hey, let's get like figure this out type stuff that mm -hmm. you sometimes see musicians. But if there are two talented musicians in a room, I think that something like this is not completely impossible. I think that music could come together like this. And I think the sweetness of the film is what really got me because that Falling Slowly song, it won the Oscar that year for best song, first of all. And, you know, the Oscars are often a lot of like, you know, it's a big, it's a big political thing, you know, to who gets to win and who produced what and who paid the most money to who. Absolutely. But this is an example of something that wasn't like it won the independent awards, but it also won the Oscar. And that song, when this movie came out, I mean, I was at an age where I was what? Mm, around like 25 ish. And that is like the height of like, I want to find a boyfriend and be happy and romance and love. And, all that. <laughs> and I had a boyfriend who just wasn't doing it for me. And I, <laughs> movie, 
And I was like, this is like how people should be. This is such a, it's simple. It's not, there's nothing complicated about this movie. It's like about an hour and a half long. It's not elongated and it's not, again, you don't have people starting to break into song and dance in the middle of the Dublin streets, but that's what makes it special. And they talk um, about, you know, his ex that cheated on him, which that, that is great. The, uh, the broken hearted Hoover fixer sucker guy. I love that. That song is um, great. I saw that yeah. he was on the bus. That was amazing. Yeah. I was just like, that's hilarious. And it reminds me a bit. Have you ever seen the before movies before sunrise before sunset? I have not. Oh gosh, Edgar, you and your wife need to watch the before movies. Write that down right it. now. Before movies. So, those movies are filmed about every 10 years with the same actors and it's them finding each other over the years. They first meet as young college students and they fall in love and then they refilm about it's Ethan Hawke is the guy in it. Um, and those are magical. And this reminded me of that in terms of like that scene on the bus is very much just like something that could happen to anyone in everyday life. You meet someone, you end up on the bus and you chat about your life and there's nothing forced about it. And it doesn't seem, and again, they're not improv actors, but they're really just talking and sharing stories in this movie. There's no like really tight script at all. And I think that's what also makes it special because it doesn't feel like a movie sometimes. Yeah, it really, it really doesn't. It doesn't, I, I, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think it's because, like I said, maybe, maybe it's because they're not actors. They're not acting, you know, like quote unquote, and they're using their own words. So it maybe comes off kind of realer, but I, I, it's a very romantic movie. It's very romantic. I, I really dug it because it's not cheesy, you know, it, it's, it just was very real. And I couldn't, I could not, if you told me that they, those two were not in a relationship, I wouldn't have believed you. You know, there's like, I, well, just, I, I think they might've been a little bit from what I remember in real life. Um, but then they broke up, but they definitely had, you can tell they had a connection over their music is what really brought them together. And mm -hmm. that's all that really matters. But you can see that connection in a way that you don't see if I know these actors aren't together, but if Julia Roberts and George Clooney were in a movie together, you know, it's, and you, you can see that they're together, but it's almost in an annoying way. Like we're making a movie together and we're so in love. Like the worst <laughs> thing Hollywood actors can do is make a movie together. Do not make a movie with your couple. Like Angelina made a movie with Brad and then they broke up right after that. Like don't make a movie with your husband or wife if you're a famous actor. Yeah. But these actors like found a way to just bring their love and their passion for music into a film. And again, you know, she's got a husband back in the Czech Republic in the movie. He's got an ex he's kind of griping about. They've got these similar parallel lives. And of course, this love of playing their respective instruments and the songs never feel because of where they set it up, you know, they end up in a piano shop. They end up here. He's in his room singing and writing stuff down and talking to himself. Those scenes 
seem more natural. It again, doesn't feel like that. And here's the fountain and everyone's going to jump out of the fountain and start jazz handing it up. You know, mm-hmm. there's none of that. It's really just simplistic, but in the, in the most beautiful way, I think. And yeah. I have not seen this movie in a while, but when it came out, Oh boy, I watched this movie dozens and dozens of times. And I definitely <laughs> am adding this to my rewatch list. Um, And then I went on to listen to all their music because they both make really beautiful music. I saw Glenn Hansard play. He played at Millennium Park in Chicago. Oh, Um, this really? Yeah, yeah, a handful of years ago. Um, And they've still played together and met up at concerts. They're the kind of musicians where they've got all those different other musician friends and they all can kind of come into a room and create together. And I think that's the most fun part of this movie is that you see the creation and how it progresses. you have falling slowly you have when your mind's made up all these songs that have the same kind of like tinge to them or they bring in other music you see her um strengths like meld with his strengths and find common ground and um i just love his voice i really like irish singers voices in general but there's just a romance to it that is not forced and i think that that's why most people could relate to it and again, it was like an hour and a half long. So there's not that like, okay, it's starting to drag, get to the point. Yeah. It, it's a simple story, but it's well done. Yeah, I like the simplicity of it. I, everything about it is simple. And I think that's that's what works for it, right? And then uh, the the interesting thing, like you said, the their strengths come together. For example, she's kind of she's kind of pushy in like a, like a cute sort of way, you know? So she was the one who got him to like mm-hmm. record an album, et cetera. And, and uh, whereas he is really kind of afraid of doing those things and taking charge, she got that for him. And I was just like, oh, that's neat. You know, like, like she's like, I liked her, you know, like I thought she was cute because of her little kind of, you know, she's not, she's not mean. She's not pushy. She's like, oh, can you show me how to play that? Can you show me your song? Why not? Come on. You know, and then it's just like, uh, okay. You know, like, like I was like, yeah, just make, just give the girl the, the sheet music or whatever. Let, let her play the music. Come on, let's go. You know? I love your impression of her too. Cause that's exactly how she is. It's kind of like flirty, but sarcastic. Kind of like, Hey, you big man. You think you got something? Like, yeah. Here. Yeah. She does that a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, I just looked it up. They were not dating during filming. They started dating during the promotional tour. So after they filmed, they started dating. So, mm-hmm. I mean, music brings people together and it, it's hard not to like, you know, when you're connecting and making something as personal as music with someone, I think more so than film. I am always surprised when actors get together on sets. I mean, I'm not surprised by the sexual nature of it because people are how people are. Um, but I mean, keep it in your pants, people. But, um, I mean, the number of people that cheat on their husbands and wives while filming a movie, I'm just like, go do your, like, that would be like, if you went to your job every day and cheated on your husband or wife at your job, like, it's like, it's a movie, make the movie and then walk away from it. And also I don't think you need a lot of trust when you're an actor, but it's very different as a musician and an actor particularly a musician. I think 
acting, I can always separate myself from the people I'm working with. But music, these people are bringing together their heart and soul. It's very hard not to feel something for that person when you're combining your talents, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I know nothing about either. Uh, but I would I would think that they are very similar in the fact that you are kind of burying your soul in some ways uh, in both in both uh, actions. But again, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even know what it's like to direct people like that. Uh, it, it's it, it, to be a director, probably a nightmare for a lot of directors. They're probably like, oh, great. I have to deal with the background noise of this people, you know, hooking up and fighting with each other. We're trying to make a movie here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, how many songs, how many bands have broken up because they were a band of men and women who were all kind of like shuffling along with each other. Like, it's like, okay. And like, just kind of a round Robin of this one dated this one and this one married this one. And oh. I mean, it gets, messy. it gets messy. And yeah. music when you're creating music, I mean, I don't create music, but I think that from my perspective, acting, you need to trust someone, but, and it's easy to be attracted to a person when you're working closely with them, blah, blah, blah. But the way this film is like set up is that there's two people that are combining their own talents and it's coming from a really raw and natural place. And I can see more so how that could grow from that as opposed to, hey, here's a script for a movie. Now fall in love on screen, you know. <laughs> but isn't that kind of like what they kind of did? Like, here's here's an outline, you know, just uh, just do what the, the outline says. I mean, I think that's what they did, you know. But because they're not actors, first and foremost, they were more focused on the music. So yeah. I felt like it, that was like the, that's the heart and center of the movie. It's a musical. I mean, it's a love story. And I guarantee there's a lot of people who would not remember it as much as a musical as a love than as a love story. But at the end of the day, this movie would not be a movie without the music. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The music is really good. I, I really do like the music. I remember initially getting tired of the of, of the guy's voice. Mm. You know, like it, it got to me a little bit. Uh, not this time around. I, I, I just I wonder why I perceived it that way the first time. He does get a little more action than she does. That's the only thing that bothered me a little bit is that he sees he's getting more of the opportunities to show off his talent than she is. Mm -hmm. But, but then there's still, they bring that back around though, when they combine them and then they show how they're stronger together. I think. Yeah. I just feel like she's got a little bit more of a personality just in general, in terms of like him in the he's movie. More, he's a very much like a, an Irish, sad, melancholy musician. And she's got a little more pep in her step. For yeah, sure. for sure. <laughs> For sure. A little, little attitude and a little um, kind of quirky personality. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's just her or like just kind of like what, uh, what is she from Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia? I think she's originally from the Czech Republic. I yeah. think so. I think that's what her, she's, uh, well, her, I think that's just kind of like the general nature of an Eastern European. They, they got a little, she, I, that's kind of like the kind of the, attitude i picked up i thought maybe oh she's just you know eastern european that little attitude that little kind of wry you know yeah. dry character it's, it's really funny um, and, and again it's, it has to be there because his personality is so different from hers and he's so much more oh i'm getting over this breakup and my life is sad and you know 
I'm a vacuum repairman. I mean, a vacuum repairman, Edgar. Can you imagine if your job was to be a vacuum repairman and you're a musician? Come on. Oh, I, like, I don't know what kind of future you have in either profession if you're not very aggressive. But like vacuum repairman, like, I don't know how many people even repair their vacuums anymore. I think most people just like if you break your vacuum, you just buy a new one. Throw it out and buy a damn new one. That is for damn sure. I, I actually have a vacuum cleaner, though, however, that's been sitting here for more than a year, and I don't know how to put it together. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost wanted to call someone and be like, um, I need you to fix this and this. And oh, by the way, can you put this vacuum together? You're kidding me. It's a really complicated vacuum. <laughs> Maybe I should call Glenn Hansard and have him sing to me while he fixes my vacuum. While he fixes your, while he puts it together. Okay, so it's not broken. It's not broken. It needs to be put together. It's brand spanking new, one hundred and seventy-five dollars worth. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know what I've been doing for the last year because I'm a lazy Taurus. I've been like using my little like uh, hand vac dirt devil like all over my place on the ground. So I'm like <laughs> killing my back and injuring myself because I won't figure out how to put together this GD vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yes, you know what? I'm so stupid, but I hate YouTube. But I realized I could just Google it and find a YouTube video that shows me how to do it in like 10 minutes. But I still haven't done that. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe. <laughs> I have a Swiffer. I have other things. I can just let it sit for another year and stare at it. It's fine. <laughs> I can't believe you have a brand new vacuum cleaner. <laughs> oh. I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh Jesus Christ! Oh, no, it's terrible. It's terrible. This is what I, I don't want to make this an astrology thing because um, that's embarrassing and lame. But um, <laughs> it is totally a Taurus thing where we'll just be like, oh, OK, push it in a corner and then like be like all like, oh, I'm going to be lazy and like do a thousand other things that are more difficult than just put together the vacuum cleaner that would solve all my problems. Oh, my goodness. OK, so you just need the, is the box open? Oh, the box is open and the pieces are up, but I was so overwhelmed by the pieces that I just didn't know what to do. What what brand of vacuum cleaner is this? Uh, it's $175 worth. I can't remember. It's a nicer brand. It, it's There's got to be a tutorial that I could watch for 10 minutes and figure it out, but I've chosen not to do that. I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe you, you couldn't put together. Girl, you know how many like times I've put like, I've started a project and then like was like, eh, hell, to hell with that. Just... My house here, you have all these things that are like not done. And I'm like, oh, I don't wanna. You... And we have nothing but time on our hands, Edgar. Nothing but time on. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Other than working constantly, we'll probably sit for another two months. I say two months because I really, really, really have to put it together. This is getting ridiculous. Oh, that's that's amazing! I can't. Holy cow! Oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, I'm. You had me crying there for a minute. Um, but <laughs> I am myself crying because I'm laughing at how freaking stupid I am. <laughs> I don't. I think. I think you just it, got. It is what it is. Well, the thing is, is that you know you, you know, it's just you in the house, right? It's 
you don't have somebody else that you can delegate stuff to. So like, if you had more time, I'm just never, I've never been good at putting stuff together. I've never been good at like, I, I need a video to show me or watch someone do something to put something together for the most part, unless it's like a cabinet that's got like, this is one, this is two, this is a, this is B. I'm just really not good at that stuff. And I know people will make fun of me because I'll make fun of myself because it's ridiculous. But how many people do I know who could just be like, oh, my roommate will do it or my husband will do it. I don't have to do stuff like that. And I'm like, well, listen, bitch, I do because no one else is going to do it. <laughs> oh, by the way, you called me and girl my cats earlier. my going to do it. Do you think the cats are doing this? No, no, no. no. But before, before, before you started to rant, you called me girl. You're like, girl, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so just to clarify, I am. I, I am. I am not a girl. <laughs> anyway. No, I know you're not, but I say that to everybody these days. Okay. I knew you were going to bring that up. I knew I, you were going to bring I, that up. I was just up. like, wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a girl. <laughs> but it, it doesn't have to do with anything about your sexual um, background. It just has, it's just my, my, my way of going. Mm-hmm. well it's that's all it is. it's it's that's your dude it it's your dude like i go like dude you know like that's what i say hey oh dude get this you know that that's that's what you do you, you use girl so exactly it's funny um but anyway um, and i use girl with everybody at this point <laughs> yeah you use it with oh your- and i will say i will say quickly that people were getting mad mad at me my mother and someone that we work with I would say dude and they would always be like don't don't call me dude I'm not a dude and they legitimately get frustrated by it so that's so that's all right oh Jesus I'm always pissing somebody off it's fine you you were you were pissing me off I just thought it was hilarious you know and I wanted to make a point of it in case the people who are listening didn't hear (laughs) that you call me girl you know <laughs> That's just how comfortable we are with each other. I'm like, you're we're homies, right? You can call me girl, you know, it's cool. You know, I could call you dude. What's up? You know, I'm not gonna get offended. Call me dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna get offended. I just want I just want people to hear it. I just want people to hear it that you call me girl. All right. <laughs> But anyway, uh, but I like that you got a kick out of that. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I like that you're like comfortable with me. Right. That you call me girl. I, I that's the part I like. I don't like calling being called girl, but I like the fact that you're comfortable enough to call me girl. That's cool. I like that. Well, again, <laughs> and I and I you wouldn't be offended. That's why I said it. <laughs> nah, I'm not easily offended. I mean, I've told you some of the stories that happened in you know, and that were that happened to me professionally. This, 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 yes. this would never even come close. This doesn't touch those. <laughs> not even, not even close. Not <laughs> so uh, just to kind of uh, get back into this uh, and, uh, and, and, and get away from the, from the vacuum cleaner. Um, the, the, <laughs> in the, in the one story, uh, eventually they go their separate ways. Right. So it's this really interesting mm-hmm. story of this, kind of relationship that kind of gave them the courage to continue on to the relationships they felt they belonged in 
but it kind of gave them, mm-hmm. they both gave, yeah. it gave them both a little, maybe, I don't know, courage or understanding of their own relationships or maybe the ability to kind of fall in love again. I, I don't know what, how would you describe that, that departure? Um, well, I mean, so he sends her the piano and I think the movie closes with her playing the piano um, at her home with her husband in the Czech Republic. And then he um, reconnects with his ex that he was bitching about. Um, Of course, we all bitch about people. It doesn't mean he didn't love his ex. It didn't mean that they were gonna end up together. And and I think that's part of the magic of this movie too, is that it's not, oh, they end up together. And it's, you know, the typical, you know, chiclet book or romantic comedy type movie ending. It's more logical and realistic that people sometimes pass through our lives who teach us things. They might not spend a lot of time in our life, but they meant something very important to us in that moment. And that doesn't mean that you have to, again, you don't have to put a ring on your finger or have a relationship go on for 20 years to have someone touch your life. And this is not, again, this is not just sexual romance. This is friendships and Mm -hmm. you meet people in your life that influence your education and your work and your upbringing and unless you tell people that they and his way of telling her was by sending her the piano I feel like um unless you tell people they're never gonna know and I always make a point in my life like I write letters to teachers that have meant a lot to me and they write back and they're just like shocked that I even remember their names (laughs) and I'm like you were a part of my informing of my ideas and sometimes their personal lives even melded I had a teacher in first grade who I remember was going through a divorce and I didn't know what divorce was and I as I learned more about it I was like she was such a great teacher yet she was going through that difficult time and that always meant a lot to me and I don't think if you don't tell people the little part or big part they played in your life they don't always know and I think it's important to recognize that you can find love in a lot of different ways and it doesn't have to be romantic love, even though this was obviously on the verge of romance. It didn't have to end all like, you know, how many movies have we seen where, you know, they're getting married at the end, like yawn, yawn, come on. Yeah. I really do. Like, I I think, I think that's the other part that kind of adds to the realism of, of the realistic nature of this movie is that they don't end up together. It's not, it's it's very romantic mm-hmm. but it's not cheesy it's kind of realistic like you said that people can mean something to you and they can have an influence on you but they don't necessarily have to be the one you end up with right that it there's something he learned from her there's you know things he kind of got over etc whatever she did for him you know he was able to kind of take on into the next relationship and it's just kind of like one of those things is like how many girlfriends how many boyfriends whatever you know a person goes through and until and all those things that you learn from that person sometimes you're not going to learn until you leave that person because that person left you you learned oh you know what i shouldn't say these kind of things or i shouldn't behave this way or i shouldn't do this or positive things like oh you know she taught me this you know and even though she is not here. I get, you know, my, my future wife, my, et cetera, she's going to benefit from me having this relationship. So uh, I really kind of dig that part. 
So what's your next one? Yeah, and it's um oh, I'm sorry, go it's ahead. Something that those movies don't always touch on. No, no, it's just something those movies, movies like that don't always touch on. And that's what I like about it is that it's touch it touches on that um idea um of you know, you can take something into the next relationship. It doesn't have to, this relationship doesn't have to become anything more than it was, so to speak. For sure. Um, so I actually want to skip our next, my next choice, because I would really like to do a full podcast on this movie. Okay. Wow. Uh, which one is this one? But I, but I will say what it is. It's Coco. Oh, I like Coco. I like it so would you much. Be down to do a full I would I would be down to do it. I here's the, the funny thing about Coco. I like Coco so much, I can't watch it. <laughs> it makes me cry. It makes Is me it because you get sad? Is it because you cry? I get yeah. I get I get super emotional and I don't like to get all weepy eyed. So I, I avoid it. Um, but I, is I, it during the uh, remember me, remember me song? It's like the whole goddamn movie, the whole thing. I'm like crying the whole time. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a silly man. I, I cry at all these. I cry at a kung fu movie. I, I am not. I have anything makes me cry. If I get super emotional, I get super emotional. First off, I'll watch a movie. I get really into it. If they sell me, if I'm sold, am I, and I'm into the movie. At one point, the fucking movie's gonna make me cry. And it's just the way it's just the way it works. But Coco is one of those that just just overwhelmed me because there is so much because, you know, I'm Mexican. There's so much I relate with in the movie. And there's so many things that kind of pick out that I think is funny or whatever. And they're little kind of little uh, Easter eggs and symbolism and all that nonsense, all that. There's so much in it. Yeah, I'll be down to 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 do a full fledged ep, uh, episode on just Coco, but uh, I would love to skip it for now, so we're not talking too much about it. Just because I too love this movie, and I too have not watched it many times because I find it hard to as well. Yeah. Although I don't relate it to it in the way you do. Um, talking earlier about Halloween, um, Day of the Dead is like a very interesting thing that I have a very vested interest in every year i typically go down to new orleans and i celebrate halloween and dawn of the dead and i did not get to do that this uh, past year um, because of covid and it's just a movie that i'd really like to talk more about the music the themes and everything so why don't we just skip it for now let's let's do that but uh before before we we skip on i just wanted to mention uh this movie is a day of the dead kind of holiday movie and uh the Mexican Fine Arts Museum located in Pilsen always has every year a uh, exhibit for Day of the Dead. And everybody, like all the artists in the neighborhood and stuff, they, they build these altars. And I haven't gone in a while. It's been a few years since I've, since I've gone. But I've seen some amazing altars at the, at the Mexican Fine Arts Museum. There's, there was one where I guess someone had, like, they chopped up a car and it was like a Cadillac, like an mm. old, like 1950 Cadillac. And they had like the front of the Cadillac and then all kinds of pictures and amazing things on it. it it's just, if, for the people listening, if you haven't ever seen the, 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 uh, the displays they put up for Day of the Dead around Halloween at the Mexican Fine Arts Museum, 
totally go check it out. You'll you'll be amazed by it. But anyway, okay, so let's I'm that's my spiel if love you want to skip. Love that, love that, love that. And yeah, I, I'm really sad that so many things didn't get to come together in the last year because of the pandemic, but hopefully we'll have some sense of normalcy going forward where we could all still enjoy this stuff. Um my next choice is a little film called Moulin Rouge. Oh, Moulin Rouge. I that's that uh, melody that he sings, uh, that Elton John number that he sings. It's just my favorite song. Your, your song. I think yes. Ewan McGregor, seriously, I had no idea until I saw this movie that he could sing like that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know that he could sing. I, I wonder how much training he took or what they did, like in terms of like production to help him along or, or post or whatever. I think he's amazing in this movie. And I, I don't know why he doesn't do more. And this is funny because once is, a, is like the opposite of this movie. This movie is <laughs> highly produced over the top. Everything is over the top. Even, even Ewan McGregor's face is over the top. He's always smiling and, and like, you know, it's, it, and it's, it's like, uh, it's got like a tragic it ending. A very scary movie to watch on drugs, I imagine. <laughs> I mean, cause he really is like a Cheshire cat the whole time. Everything's exaggerated and like too, too like this and beyond. It's just like, and not even over the top as much as like, um, it, it's, it's everything that a musical should be, but it's not obnoxious when it does it. Yeah. I, I love this movie because it is, it is a, an extreme musical. Like it is, it does. <laughs> I'm imagining like one of those like uh, MTV shows where it's like extreme. Musical. <laughs> That's exactly what it is to me though. It's like an MTV special. Like they, they just took, they took what musicals are and just went straight up into it. They're like, they're not afraid of it. They're like, let's do everything musicals do, but better. Let's have better costumes, better musical numbers, better better lighting, better care, everything, everything. Uh, it, like, I think it's a little obnoxious, but I love it in that direction that, that it went into because it just embraces every bit that a musical is. And uh, even even like uh, Nicole Kidman's like overacting, you know, she she overacts a little bit, but it, it's oh she for sure does, yeah. yeah, yeah. I but I I love it, I love it. It it's just I think what really sells me is again Ewan McGregor's performance of of that Elton John number, you know, he, he I, I just I love I love. There there's something about the height, the way that song is staggered. And when it comes to a crescendo and his voice is so clear and like emotional, that song gets me more than any other song in the movie probably too, which is weird because there are so many great covers of songs by musicians like David Bowie and Bono and all of this. But that song in particular is just like crisp and the way it should be. It's 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 my favorite song from the whole uh, soundtrack, um, but uh, and and there's a lot of good songs in this in this movie. It's it's a lot of fun. It's just fun to watch. You know, it's that it's song like watching in particular. Bollywood. It's so like fun and, and red and, and 
celebratory. Yeah, it, it's there's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's and and I love like you said the colors. It, it's so rich, you know. Every every scene is full of color and richness in the color. It's uh, I just enjoy I enjoy it very much. It's it, I didn't have the problem that I had with once. The first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh, this movie's awesome, you know. Um, I remember, um, like, even when they announced it, I was excited to see it months and months ahead. I was, like, ready for this movie. And then when it came out, I was going through a breakup, and I just remember being, like, really sad. I was very sad. I went to see it with a girlfriend of mine, and we were both just, like, we left the theater and we're like, can we go and see it again? Like, that's how much (laughs) we loved it. And then... You know how I like to bring this up every chance I have, Edgar, every opportunity. Uh, Nicole Kidman made this movie right after divorcing who? <laughs> oh, really? Your favorite man? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Ah. And I was just so proud of her because this is what made her a star. And this was after she was no longer part of that celebrity couple and she was kind of the wife of the Hollywood superstar. This is the movie that made her a superstar and that's another reason I like it so much. Really? You think so? Oh, yeah. I mean, she'd done stuff before this, Eyes Wide, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. She'd done um, a couple of like satires that she was recognized for, but this is the one that like shot her rocket off and everybody was just like, Nicole Kidman is a superstar. And that made her an A-lister. Like, I mean, she was already kind of an A-lister, but this mm-hmm. made her like, Hey, you can make $20 million for a movie A-lister. Yeah. Like you don't need John, uh, John Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise for, for anything. You can, you can do this on your own. Yeah. And um, one of the other songs I really like, um, is come what may and that was um her and you in as well and their voices together there was just something really neither of them is like someone i would think like who could do a arena tour of their voice on its own right mm. but they're both very good voices and together they they just i don't know they just knock it out of the park on all of their songs there's something about the kind of uh, crispness, crispness of his voice, and then her voice. She's got a good range of high and low, and he can also kind of. He's got a good range too, and I just think that they were paired like so well for this. And I don't really know. I think somebody else was considered for his role and probably her role at some point. But um, I know Baz Lorman was all about Nicole though, and um, at the end of the day, they made the right choice with Ewan for sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. You can't have anybody else play that role. That, and like I said, why isn't he doing? Why hasn't he done more? Like, he could do yeah. more uh, musicals. Like, I don't understand why he wouldn't. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe it's just not his interest. Who knows? But it's a shame. It's a shame. I would love to see another musical with both of those uh, people, whether by themselves or together again. Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and I, I did. There was a recent movie um, that came out called Prom. Um, it was directed by Ryan Murphy, who did Glee and American Horror Story. Um, oh. It stars Meryl Streep and Nicole is in it. It's a terrible movie, uh. unfortunately. <laughs> so I was really excited because anything Nicole's in with singing, I'm always like happy to see her. And it was just so like, 
oh, it was almost painful to watch. So that made me sad, but I would love to see the two of them paired up again. And again, Baz Luhrmann, like his goal here was to make a sensory experience almost. And I think he succeeded with that because you really feel like you're in the midst of these people's lives. And we should also mention John Leguizamo, who's ridiculously funny in this movie. He is so wacky in this movie. He's, he's a wacky guy to begin with, right? But yeah, he's like he's like supposedly a little person and he's like running around on his knees in real life. And it's just hilarious. Like he's just... He's supposed to be... Or I always pronounce his name right, uh, wrong. Toulouse-Lautrec. I always forget how to say that. But... Um, he is like an interesting, like, I think all the people that were cast were very interestingly cast. You know, it was like, I wouldn't have thought of that person in that role. And even Jim Broadbent as the head of the Moulin Rouge, mm. um, he's played a lot of like comedy for sure, but a lot of subdued British roles and dramas. And then here he comes as this body crazy man with the mustache and i was like what's going on it's 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 very similar to how i felt the first time i saw romeo and juliet from Baz Luhrmann. i was like i almost left the theater after that first scene it's basically um the one with leonardo dicaprio and his oh, friends yeah, and yeah, they're yeah, shooting yeah. up a gas station yeah and i remember being like uh, I'm a Shakespeare purist and this is stupid, but I'm so glad I stayed because I didn't realize where he was going with that. And I uh-huh. thought it was going to be like an MTV music video train wreck of a movie. And then I realized, <laughs> okay, okay, we're good now. We're good now. But at first I was kind of shocked by it. And I'm sure there's people who saw Moulin Rouge who at first were like, where is this going? But I was hooked the minute I started this movie and I still continue to be. I I uh, I never had that thought about Moulin Rouge. I, I thought, what is going on? I was like, what is going on? I am so crazy, like curious about where this is going. But I wasn't like, I need to leave. It was like, no, tell me more. Hurry up. Like, what's going on? What? Why? Because there's so much color, so much jumping around. People are dancing. You don't even know what's going on. That first scene, the opening scene, people are just dancing and it's just like, what, what? Like, I like that idea. Cause I feel like I just got pushed into this circus, you know, tent yeah. and there's all this craziness happening. I, I loved all that. It's, it's great. And that, and that director that you're talking about the, the um, uh, American horror story guy, he is so like everything that guy does, including American horror story is so weird and the weirdness does not turn me off it it is like it it is like so interesting to me and i'm like why is this so compelling and he does it i think he does it in everything i haven't seen that movie you talked about with nicole kidman um i'm afraid to now because i'm curious but uh because you say it's bad but you know i'm talking about a totally different director though right oh i thought they were the same directors no, 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 no. This is Baz Luhrmann. That prom movie is Ryan Murphy. Totally different people. Oh, totally okay, different okay, people. okay, 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 okay. I thought uh, but Laz, Baz, Baz Luhrmann has done, um, he's done Romeo and Juliet from 1996. And yes. then he did um, Strictly Ballroom, which was also very good. I just wish he would make more movies like this. And they've teased him and Nicole pairing up on another musical again. And I'm like, when is it coming? Because 
For me, um, I've actually been to Montmartre in Paris, which is where the setting of the Moulin Rouge is. Basically, you have, in this day and age, it's basically a lot of um, strip clubs at the bottom of this hill. Oh, and then wow. as you walk up the hill, there's a church and there's cafes. And it's this it's it's where hmm. all the famous Parisian artists came from, basically. Van Gogh, everybody. So they all started here. They show you where they lived. It's a magical, magical place. And in this movie, I feel like you're in it and you feel like you're part of the movie the minute you start watching it. You don't ever feel like you want to pause or turn away. You're just immersed in it. And that's the quickness of it, which could probably turn off some people with ADHD because there are scenes in her boudoir. Do you remember some of those scenes where it's like, do, 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 do. It's just like, oh my God, it's so quick and so crazy. But that's why it's so entertaining. And then it knows when to slow down. It does slow down when it needs to. Mm -hmm. But I mean, between costumes and dancers and everything, it, again, it is a big production, but a well done one that didn't feel overly inflated because you had talent across the room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that movie's great. Uh, and, and again, like, uh, when I went and rewatched it, I, uh, I got stuck on the songs. I just turned on the songs and then I, I, I was listening to the songs for like two, three days straight. I just, they're so good. I used you know? to have that CD in my car and I would just play it like nonstop, nonstop. Like it's hard to turn away from it when you rediscover it too. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I'm going to have to play it tonight. <laughs> Cause I'll, I'll play, I'll play like music for the kids sometimes to put them to bed. And you know, like, uh, cause if, if I let my daughter uh, go, she will, she will just start talking and she will talk all night. But if she's listening to something, she'll chill out and go to sleep. So, man, I should put on that soundtrack. I can relate, Edgar. I think your daughter and I have something in common. Yeah, you guys you guys are like each other's spirit animals or something. I don't know. Shreddy <laughs> Kathy is the phrase my mom has always liked. <laughs> oh, you give my daughter a chance, she will talk your ears off. She will talk those ears right off I, your head. I think for a run for money though i really do <laughs> oh you, oh one of the one of these days we'll see we'll see challenge accepted we'll see who wins <laughs> the truth is although i talk constantly when i'm with kids i i slow down because i want to hear that what they have to say so i always slow down with kids but with adults especially i found it hard in these times because i don't see people often so like, for example, I went to a friend's on Saturday to just pick up something uh, she printed out for me because I don't currently have a printer. And I feel like I just da -da 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 didn't give her a second to even breathe because mm -hmm. I never see people. So it's like I had to like word vomit all my thoughts and things I wanted to tell her in one fell swoop. And she <laughs> looked like overwhelmed. And I was like, I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's... <laughs> It's funny that you bring that up because I have run into people that do that. And and I'm like, oh, okay. And now I and I'm fine with it. I'll just let them go. I'm just like, okay, go ahead. Tell but me. I think I think I can relate now to people who either are sadly don't have social lives or don't have a lot of friends, or people who maybe have been locked up for a long time. And that's essentially a lot of us now, is that we're locked up and not, if you're being safe, you're not seeing people. And I'm not a phone talker. I'm never been a phone talker. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I see someone in person, I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and they're probably wishing they had a mute button and that it was Netflix and that they could pause me. But 
Sorry, you can't. No, well, it's it's uh, I I'm I just I can't wait for all this to be over so we can go back to living normal lives, and so that we can get that bombardment of of people just being like you know because that's gonna happen. I'm expecting it. I can't wait for it to happen so that we can go on being normal people because uh, once we get back to normal life living there is going to be a, a lot of socially awkward weird, uh, people like. Yes. Yes. You know? I mean, I've already seen that in terms of people who like go to gas stations or, you know, grocery stores and kind of not knowing how to interact with other human beings. And then I've also noticed it in terms of like, um, well, actually not noticed it, but talked about it with people about how, when we all come back together, people are going to have to readjust to what that looks like because we're so not used to having that normal day-to-day conversation with strangers or friends or colleagues. And if you don't practice, sometimes some people just aren't good at communicating. So it might be a bit of a stumbling block for a lot of people, especially to people who are used to being introverted at this point and maybe don't want to get back into an office where they have to talk to anybody. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, I won't yeah. name names, but I can think of people that we work with so, <laughs> who probably rather they never have to see anybody ever again, you know, and then when you get back into that workflow, it, it's going to be overwhelming for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. It's just, um, yeah. And, and, and then like even the little simple things, like you're walking in the corridor, right? And there's another person coming down the other way, like that, that, that awkward, oh, hey, what's up? You know, because you don't want to be rude, you know? But at the same time, you don't want to be the annoying person that always says hello to you in the hallway. But it's just like, that's going to be more difficult. Like just that, like, okay, I can say hi to this person. I can't say hi to that person. That person gets offended if I don't say hi, you know, like. Oh God, I hate like pleasantries crap, but I have to say it is a little dance you have to do because sometimes I can see, like I've walked past you in the hall at work before and I can see you're kind of looking down or you kind of like do the like half smile at me. And I'm like, all right, he's not in the mood to talk. I'll keep walking. Mm-hmm. But then there's other people who don't like gauge that social thing and they just start going, hey, hey, hey. And then you feel like you need to engage with them and you're like, but I don't have anything to say. And then it becomes awkward. And it's like, it shouldn't, <laughs> be. It shouldn't have to be because it's such yeah. a dumb thing. I'm walking past you in the hall. It's stupid. Like get over yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, how many of those things are there? There's like the elevator. There's like, Oh, I ran into you in the street. Oh, I saw you at, at, <laughs> at the local CBS or whatever. The funniest thing was like running into people in the CBS. Because there are people who are like super friendly in the hallway, but then they see you at like the the restaurant or the CBS or wherever. Because they're in their natural habitat, which is not the office. And they're like, I shouldn't be seeing you here. Yeah, they're they're like, exactly. There's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, dude, I work in the same building or area. Like how? I work in the building with the CBS at the bottom, guys. Come on. Yeah, they're like. (laughs) Whoa, the first thing they do is I'm like, whoa, I didn't expect you here. It's just like, it's, take it easy. You can say hi if you want. You don't want to say hi. That's fine, too. I don't care. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I don't. So long as it doesn't hurt your feelings, I'm fine, you know? But it's, it's always funny. But, like, there are people who are, who are great no matter what. You run into them anywhere. They're like, hey. And I'm like, hey, you know? That's cool. Because then I know no matter what, he's always going to be like, what's up? And then I'm cool with it. I'll say, what's up? But 
But, but, but then again, that's another thing too, is that people are going to be confused about like the people that aren't that way, which is the people who are sometimes in a good mood and want to be friendly. And sometimes they're in a bad mood or they're stressed at work and they don't have time to stop and chat. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you have to read their emotions or they feel like, you know, sometimes they yeah. feel like they need to play up to you or other times they feel like I don't just, you know, I don't owe this person anything. And it's easier when you have those people who are always the same, right? Because yeah. then you can come on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's and I can even go up to that person and say, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, he's happy to see you. And he's like, hey, what's up, man? You know, it's like, I like that interaction. But there's always that little weird little dance you got to do with certain people that, that basically you don't know as well, right? This is like, oh, should I say hi? If I don't say hi, is he going to be pissed off? Is he going to say something? Is he going to be weird in the office? Yeah. But in these times, I think everybody is cognizant of the fact that when we all go back, whether that's full-time, part-time, what have you, to an office situation, that we're all going to have to jump over these, through these hoops and over these, you know, stumbling blocks, because it's going to be rough for everybody involved, because it's a lot of different personalities that, again, have been all very affected differently by this time. Some people are thriving being at home, and other people are hating it, so. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait for all the awkward conversations. Oh, there's going to be plenty. Oh, there is. If you want me to be, I'll be your first awkward conversation, but it won't be awkward. We'll just pretend to be awkward. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about something real weird like socks or something or... No, or I'll just be like, oh, God, Edgar, I haven't seen your face once in a year. Why do I have to see it now? <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Someone will overhear us and be like, uh, do we need to call HR? <laughs> <laughs> be like, no, we're cool. We're good. We're good. Yeah, we're, we're just playing. We're just kidding. We just wanted to make we're you good. feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, so um, anyway, uh, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we can move on from this. But I just want to say, yeah, the this movie is like, although it is an overblown type of musical, it's not overblown at all. If that makes any sense at all, I know what you're saying. Because uh, I, I agree, it's it's uh, it's over the top. It's over the top on purpose, and I love that it's over the top. You know, but yeah. So the next one, and our final one. Remind me of the babe, babe with the power, power of voodoo, who do you do? Remind me of the babe. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, this labyrinth, labyrinth, in case you didn't get that from my very bad impression of that song. Um, <laughs> I don't think everyone would consider labyrinth a musical, but it's completely set to music, original music by David Bowie and I am obsessed with it to the point of no return um like remember when we've talked about stuff like the shining and how I bought like the shining rug yeah I legit have like replicas of like necklaces and dresses from this movie I've got like dorky 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 shit that is labyrinth related almost bought a bust of like David Bowie's head with like the wig from the movie and then stopped myself and said, girl, you need to like control your, your buying habits here. That would have been something worth having. The bus of David Bowie is like statement pieces and talking things. Funniest part about that though, is like, I let next to no one into my space, even pre COVID. I never even had anyone over. So I don't know who would be seeing this except for me. (laughs) And occasionally a single friend who might come by. 
Um, but I am just like, really, this is a movie I grew up with. It came out, I think in 86 or seven. It's uh, 86. 86. I was right. Um, so I was a three, four, five. I was about four years old when this movie came out. Oh, but, wow. Um, I think I saw it when I was about five. Yeah. But I think I saw it when I was about five or six and, um, it's Jim Henson. So you've got all these great puppets. You've got very early attempt, like what looks like early CGI, which of course is not. What would you call, you've seen this movie. What would you call the scenes with the orangey pinky characters um, that take their heads off and toss them around? Oh, what would you call that effect I, in the I, background? I forgot what they call it. I think it's called, it's not, it's, um, uh, there's a word for it. It's composite, compositing, uh, film compositing, I think it's called. Let me look that up because that is definitely like when you go back and watch it now, of course, if you were a younger person, you might go, oh, ha, 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 that's silly, that's lame. But I mean, for the time, that was like, oh, compositing. Yes, compositing. That's what it was called? Yeah. Ooh. So, um, check me out. In so, my this movie, you, yeah, you, I, I knew you would come up with something because I know <laughs> that you've studied film more, film more than I have. Um, I'm really a film, I've taken a couple of film courses in college, but didn't go to film school. I went to theater school, but that's very different. Um, and then I, I think that I'm very self-taught when it comes to film, but this is definitely one of those films that it wasn't just Jim Henson. It was also a collaboration with George Lucas. Mm. And so you get a lot of that magic from both of them. Um, similar to when Steven Spielberg, um, worked with Stanley Kubrick on AI, you can kind of see the two different directors coming together with these ideas. For Spielberg and Kubrick, it was fantasy, alien, otherworldly, plus the family feeling, love, all of that grounded in um, a movie about love and family. Whereas this was very much just a classic fantasy, but you have those great puppets from Jim Henson and then this like, other universe of David Bowie's as this evil character, which has got this George Lucas vibe to it. And this is a movie where I, and again, if I have like a copy of the CD, cause my car still has a CD player. Cause I, that's how I roll. Um, <laughs> I don't get, I don't get new cars. I don't do, I don't play that game. Um, I buy new used cars. Um, I will play this CD till it's, till it's, till it's all scratched up and broken because David Bowie, first of all, is like not, he's not someone that I grew up like in high school, like listening to, I'll be honest. I knew him from this film. And then when I was a little older, like later 20s, then I went back and started listening to his catalog of music and then kind of understood like why he made sense for this role being the oddity that he is. Mm -hmm. uh, but what a fun movie. And also one of the first times you see Jennifer Connelly in a movie. Um, I think she was about 16, 15 when they filmed it. Yep. And um, she wasn't the strongest actress at the time. Not that she had to be. Mm. Um, but I think that I could relate to this because every little girl or boy reads books and she's got her, her weird little notebooks and she's dressing up in her fantasy costume, her dog. She doesn't have a lot of friends. She goes home and then she like opens up this portal into this world for of all reasons, because she wants the demons to take her baby brother away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
which I can also relate to very much. <laughs> it was that that uh, that whole thing that happened because she was wanting not to have to babysit, right? And it was a very kind of childish thing for her to kind of because she had like a little bit of a fit, right? And she had like this little. She was being a teenage brat. Yeah, she was being a teenage brat, and and uh, and part of what she was doing in the movie is growing up, right? And and kind of finding a new balance between uh, the imaginary world and or the her world of fantasy and her and the real world with responsibilities. So, because I mean, in the end, uh, spoiler alert! Not not that we haven't been spoiling stuff from the very beginning but in the very end she's dancing with those puppets right and or those creatures but it's in her house so she's now kind of found a new balance between the fantasy world and her real world and kind of found happiness kind of dealing with both of them because she doesn't give up the fantasy those those puppets being in the room is is proof of that but also like her having to go through that fantasy realm and get her brother back. That was all very interesting. I found all that very interesting. Um, I the, love the, you mean the, theme, the themes of the film overall? Yeah, yeah, the themes of the movies. I, I really liked the puppets. I liked how ugly some of them were because mm -hmm. they were so, because they're, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, they're so ugly, they're beautiful. You know what I'm saying? And there's so much artistry and all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's all stage stuff. So it's, it was kind of fun to watch. Um, my problem was 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 David Bowie, because he had. Oh, kind of, I want to know what your problem with David Bowie is. David Bowie was kind of infatuated with her. Like I wasn't really understanding what his role was in the whole thing. He was trying to appease her, or was he testing her? I don't know. Like I, I, I understand he was he was an antagonist to her, but I don't I don't understand the role that he was playing in terms of like he did he want to be a did he want to be the love interest because David Bowie is a little too old for teenage Jennifer Connelly in that movie and I was a little uncomfortable with what what was going on because there was that one dreamy song where he was singing to her yeah one of my favorite songs and you know what there's a lot of themes in here around like you mentioned growing up and puberty and in that final scene she says to the puppets something along the lines of, you know, they'll say, we'll always be here for you if you need us. We'll be here if you need us. And she goes, I do still need you. And then that's when they reappear. Mm. But she's also gotten past the point of needing them. But it's still okay to play with toys and be a kid. You don't have to rush to grow up. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, put away your toys. Get this new view on life and how you can mature. But there are definitely a lot of articles out there that talk about Bowie as a sexual predator in the yeah. movie. Yeah. And that's, that's a fair comparison. I mean, I know that's not the way it was intended, but you do have like a girl who is basically out of control in a world that's of her creation, but she's also not in control of what's going on in it. Mm -hmm. and a male character who also has a, bulging something in his pants that we don't want need to talk too much about i didn't um, even notice i wish you didn't <laughs> tell oh, me that's one of the most famous parts of the movie is the fact that his pants are way too tight and there's a lot going on oh no oh no <laughs> but, 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 but here it's a lot of her <laughs> trying to okay i get the comparisons to that 
And part of the problem with that is that Bowie wasn't, wasn't going to water down the character and make him super evil. He was himself. He's got a certain kind of energy about him, this mm-hmm. androgynous sexuality that kind of seeps out of him, to be honest. Yeah. And I don't think he by any means, or certainly Jim Henson or anyone else, meant for this to be sexual. Mm-hmm. But that scene where she's dancing with him, there's a lot about like her getting through this maze to reclaim her brother who, you know, she's bitching about, he's crying, he won't shut the F up. But now she's like, okay, I need to get him. And this is my new goal. And there's one thing standing in her way and it's David Bowie. And again, she was 15 at the time of the movie and he was probably, I'm really bad with math. I forget how old he was when he died. Obviously decades older than her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, one of the themes that I took from it, and again, I saw this as a young child, so I didn't understand sexuality. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I saw it when I was 12 or 13 or 14, I would have looked at it differently versus someone who saw it when they were 25. Mm-hmm. I always got the vibe that there was romance in that scene, but I always got the idea more so of he's trying to play a trick on you and make you feel like you're a princess in a fairy tale mm-hmm. in that particular scene. Because the rest of the time he's screwing her over, right? He's changing the clock. He's yeah. making all these little problems for her. His little henchmen are changing the the stone she walks on and turning arrows around. He's diverting her from finding her brother any way he can. But I, I always looked at it more as he was trying to just find any way to stumble her from getting to her goal. And to do that, he put her in a puffy, pretty dress, which at the beginning of the film she's wearing like a costume that she owns, not as fancy, but that same idea mm-hmm. and make telling her, I can give you anything you want. You can be the queen of the world. If you stay here with me, yeah. you can have all, all the things you ever wanted in life. And she has to keep going. I it's like a dream. I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. He's lying to me. And that's when she breaks through the mirror, which mm-hmm. is a super empowering moment. I feel like where she finally just pulls herself out of this I mean, most, let's be fair. If you had a date rape drug in your system, you can't just wake up from that. That's a very real thing. Yeah. Whereas in her situation, she's kind of dreaming and she has to pull out and make herself strong enough to do what she came there to do. So I never got that vibe, but throughout the years, I've certainly read lots of articles about it and people all view it differently. And I do think age has a lot to do with like, when did you see for first see this movie? Mm. And For me, it's not changed much over time, except that I do notice his pants and I notice a couple of things. (laughs) I noticed that the baby is very fake looking when they tossed it in the air the last time during the one musical number. Oh, yeah, Um, that's right. That's right. When he was in the cavern. It must weigh it must weigh like, I don't know, one pound and he just tosses the baby in the air and you see it fly back and then land down in his hands. I'm like, that's not a real baby. Yeah. Um But do you do you want David Bowie tossing your baby in the air though? No, yeah. No. no. Um I have read articles too about the kid who played that baby and he's thrilled that he got to play that baby. But um (laughs) I I think that I, I read one article that calls it like a magical date rate peach. And I'm like, these are people that are writing, maybe that that's what you got from it, but you're mm-hmm. also trying to get attention by talking about this movie that can be very innocent and you're making it more than it needs to be. Well, the way I'm kind of thinking of it, and now that you kind of bring all that up, uh, 
Did you ever see um, Juno? Yes. Okay, so uh, Diablo Cody talked, like I heard her talk either on either in a movie podcast or in the special features for the movie or something. But she said that there is that scene uh, where Ellen Page is, is hugging on um, Justin Bateman. And she's there. She says that they're not really flirting with each other. They're flirting with each other's timelines. Mm -hmm. Because he wants to be a a young kid and she wants to be a grown up, but they're not there yet. Or, and he's no longer there. Right. So they they can't be that. Um, So I, what I see from, especially after your description, I'm getting the, the kind of the idea that it's 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 not what not how old he is or it's what he represents. He represents yeah. a certain kind of adulthood that she wants to be. And she feels like she's trapped by it because she's got responsibilities that are that are keeping her from possibly growing up into being, I guess, an adult person. And labyrinth itself is kind of her way of navigating that whole world of growing up and deciding what's important as opposed to what she thinks is important. And, and so it's not that Davy Bowie is a predator. It's what he represents. He represents adulthood. He, re- he represents, you know, sexuality. He represents all these things. He's not a, necessarily a, a predator. He's just the things that this girl thinks she wants, you know, and this, this, entity whatever he is whether he's a figment of her imagination or creation of her wanting an actual entity from a fantasy world whatever he is he's there to kind of keep her in that world of what she thinks she wants and by doing so he's going to take away her responsibilities so i uh, i i can repression there I think there's like I think there those themes are there I do think that there's some strange lines I I know that she has one line that's um well I know it by heart my will is as strong as yours and my kingdom is as great mm-hmm. and then he comes back with a line about being her slave which I see how people are pulling these things out and if this is the way you interpret it it's the way you interpret it that's yeah. fine but I choose to see it in the way that I have always seen it which is it it's the only movie that has, interestingly enough, I saw um, Inception, very excited to see Inception, wasn't, uh, didn't have as a big a uh, uh, word I won't use for it, um, as, um, as some people did, um, because it didn't, not that I expected it, well, I kind of expected it to, it was being so lauded, I was thinking it would show dreams in a way that I could relate to, yeah. my dreams look like that. My dreams look like the labyrinth where David Bowie is flip, flipping himself over, walking upside down. Things are confusing. Doors are there. Doors are gone. That's what my dreams look like. And navigating her adolescence into puberty and womanhood. I see where the rape thing can come in because of that theme. But mm. I, I choose not to see it that way. He's never doing anything appropriate to her. There's never any be be mine be you know be mm-hmm. with me it's mm-hmm. it's more so that he's trying to give her something that 
she doesn't want from him. She's trying to be more independent and do this by herself. Yeah. And although she gets support from these other puppet characters who are true friends to her, she knows that he's the enemy the whole time, yeah. except for when she eats the poison peach. The rest of the time she knows he's the enemy. She's mm -hmm. not allured by him. She doesn't have any kind of like grappling with, oh, he's bad, but he's kind of bad in a good way. There's none yeah. of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's more so here are my real friends that I know are my friends. You're a dick and we're coming <laughs> to get you. And yeah. the only time that she changes anything with that is when he tries to fool her. And that's the mm -hmm. only time that happens. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, I didn't and realize. Again, I see those lines are being made. I see how someone could take that as, oh, he, want, he wants her to do something. Yeah, mm -hmm. he wants her to do something. And I'm like, that is that is not how I choose to interpret that. But David Bowie is a very sexual man, so yeah. he gives off that kind of vibe. Well, I don't I don't even consider David Bowie a real person in this movie. Like I no. I don't I don't know if he's a figment of her imagination or some kind of energy she creates. He could be a creation of all kinds of things. He doesn't necessarily actually. He's not actually to me in this movie. He doesn't actually represent a real person. He represents something symbolic to her and he he is created from that um mm -hmm. what i what what he is exactly i am not 100 percent sure but she has control of it then that's like a demon in your dreams does mm -hmm. not have control over you you have control over the demon you just have to realize it exactly exactly because like but sometimes you don't always have control over that demon either right even though you realize it, sometimes that dream is just, you're too far in, right? So maybe he's just that. Maybe he's like a Freddy Krueger kind of, you know? Um, I just, I don't, I just don't see him. Whatever he is, I don't think he's an actual uh, person. I think everything in that world she created in her mind. And she's a represent, and that guy is a representation of, of something for her. And I think it's adulthood. Um, and all the things, all the things, right. There yeah. is like sexuality is part of puberty and growing up. It doesn't mean that Jared, the man who's not really a man mm -hmm. wants to have sex with his teenage girl. That does not, is not what it means to me. No. And I think that the undertones that whatever people like the lyrics are weird in the songs, I'll give you that, but it's David Bowie, like he's yeah. out there. And I don't think you can connotate any of his lyrics with the 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 sexuality i think it's mostly the fact that he is who he is and so people try to make that connection where and honestly if you're if you're making that connection maybe there's something wrong with you if you're like talking about this you know what i mean people that are really into that yeah. that being the plot point because yeah. there are a lot of plots and a lot of themes going on in this movie there's not just one there's hundreds and it's it's so deep right but i think i think what what's cool about whatever the undertones are, whether they're there or not, whether you interpret them or not as such. I think I, I don't see little 10 year old girl seeing this movie and getting that impression. No, you know? not at all. And, and I think that's, that's what's clever about it. And, and then eventually you're going to get more out of that movie because you're going to grow up and you're going to see this movie, excuse me. And you're going to realize, Oh, wait a minute. There's a little weirdness here. You know, that I didn't notice before. And that I think that's okay because, and the reason I say that is, is like, 
just like other movies that we, we, we just for example, like like we said before, there are there are things there that are for the adults and there are there things there for the kids. And this makes it interesting for everybody. But this whether whether David Bowie is being sexual or not, it's part of growing up. This stuff is stuff that kids have to deal with. And I think this movie is really more not so much for the little kid, but I think this really this movie is really for like a teenage, you know, boy or girl, probably mm -hmm. girl, right? Mm -hmm. But like I think that's what this movie is talking who who this movie is talking to because they are on if you're 15, 16 years old, you're on that cusp of being stuck in between two places, you know, growing up and being a kid and daydreaming and wanting to, you know, dress up like a princess and all that, all that stuff. So like, I think that movie, I think it's, it's fine the way it is. I wouldn't change a thing. Cause I, even, even David Bowie being as, androgynous or sexual or however you want to put it i think it's just enough to make to make it like really cool and weird but also to kind of speak to that girl who's going to watch this movie and be like oh this is about sex isn't it or is it or is it not or what is it about you know like i i think i think there, there's those undertones in there i think it's but it's there on purpose and it's there kind of like sneakily but because Again, it's for that teenage person who's dealing with these kind of things. Mm -hmm. But and, I, I mean, when you talk about coming of age, sex is always going to be in there somewhere. It doesn't mean that that's the core of what the story is, right? No, no. It's just one of the things that come along with growing up. Yeah. And I, I definitely saw this film at a younger age, but then when I saw it as I grew up, I could relate to it even more, especially around the age you're talking about. And mm -hmm. I never once connotated it with sex. I connotated it with, I still like to play with Barbies and I still like to watch Disney movies. And I like to dance around in costumes. Mm -hmm. And my friends are over here making out with boys. I'm not <laughs> that yet. Yeah. And I don't want, and it's not that I was immature. I was actually mature for my age and mm -hmm. I still am. I said in my head, that's going to be something I can do at any time later on, but mm -hmm. I can't do this forever. I can't play with Barbies when, well, if you really want to, you could play with Barbies when you're 38, but I'm not <laughs> currently playing with Barbies. Yeah. And obviously, as we've talked about, I still have lots of, someone used a word when they talked to me recently. It was basic. It was a flattering world word. It was not childish. It was, um, you know, like a childlike sensibility. I still enjoy the things from my youth, but I'm mm. an adult. I yeah. can still have pink hair and, like these things that are girly and like unicorns, but I'm not going to go walking around and be an immature child while doing so. Yeah. Um, you don't have to give up your youth when you grow up. And that's exactly what happens at the end of the movie. She's yes. Showing how she could bridge that area and she can become an adult, but still have those aspects of her youth with her at all times. When she needs to open up the drawer and see them, she can see them. And that's yeah. what I think is kind of sweet about it. Oh, this, what a great movie. It's a good movie. Oh, man. Yeah. And the music, like, again, um, David Bowie's not everyone's cup of tea. I certainly did not know his music the first time I saw this, second time I saw this, third, fourth time I saw this. But I always just loved the, um, the combination of all these factors. Again, huge nod to Jim Henson and um, Lucas, because you've got the stuff for the kids, you've got the stuff for the adults, 
you've got this fun soundtrack, you've got these mm -hmm. weird songs, you've got, again, I feel like I've used this word five times already, melancholiness of some, you know, melancholia is something that's a big part of my life. Um, <laughs> and I like when they can show this without um, dumbing it down and without pandering to people and say, it's okay to be a little weird. It's okay to be a little sad. Yes. It doesn't make you a sad, weird person. It's just a feeling. And we all come into our age at different points. And this movie made at an older age, when I rewatched it, it reassured me that I was doing the right things with my life because you don't have to give that up in order to be an adult. And yeah. I think that's the biggest lesson I took away from the movie and I still do. Yeah, no. And, and this is, I think uh, more than anything, that's exactly what the, what the movie is about just growing up and not having to give up the fantasy world. Uh, but man, what a great movie. If, if, if I could sit here and talk about all the different possible things that this movie means, it, you know, however silly it is, because I'm sure people look at this movie and think it's silly. I oh, think yeah. how wonderful is it? Like that I could get this much conversation out of this movie. I, I think uh, it, it's a, it's an underappreciated overlooked gem for sure. I, the, the more I think about it and as creepy as, as I think David Bowie is, I have, I want to show this movie to my, to my daughter. Cause I know she's going to love it and she's not going to get any of the creepiness that I'm getting out of it. She's going to love it. Cause I mean, I mean, my, my daughter's like that girl. She she dances around and sings and 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 you know she she dresses up however she dresses up and you know like a like you know, princess and whatnot. She 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 will I know she's gonna identify with this movie and she will love it. And this is also just an example of one of those situations where that theme might be running through here a bit. I mean, it, it has to be coming of age brings that with things. You've got Jareth and the Hoggle um character her like right right hand man which is also kind of Jairus right hand man so he, he works for the bad guy but he's really a good guy um he he tries to push him a bit he tries to make jealousies there but you know jealousies aren't always sexual jealousies and I think that if you take a theme and run it as far as you can take it again I think there's something more wrong with you at that point mm -hmm. and you're reaching for a theme and taking it to the highest point whereas i look at it as yeah it's there but it's not the whole purpose of this movie nor is it what i t choose to or what i did take away from it as a, a youth you know yeah no no for sure I i'm just saying that you know people might see it and i think it's okay if you see that you know i i think i i think you take a little more offense to it i don't think there's a problem if, if you see that because i think it is a, a little there uh i don't i don't think it's as there as some people might think you know uh I don't think maybe I don't know if David uh, again, uh, David Bowie's character is not a person to me. I think he's some kind of mm -hmm. entity uh, exactly. of and, creation. And, and it could be he reminds me of some of the characters from my nightmares and the, mm -hmm. the people that are looming and it's not sexual. It's very much just this person is scary and you need to get away from them mm -hmm. and they may be um, holding something over your head like he is because he, you know, he takes her brother away from her and she has to find him. Yeah. But there's also these like really fun, cute moments. I mean, it's one of the first times I ever saw someone work with one of those magic glass balls. And oh, yeah. 
when I've gone to Vegas, I've seen like people walking on the street, like, cause they want you to tip them, but they're really talented. And they actually, of course, Bowie didn't do that. Someone was doing it for him, but some talented guy who was like, literally like, this is an art that he does. Um, that kind of, it has so many like things again, that I feel like came out of my dream world, like very creepy and weird and exotic and strange and confusing which is what growing up is at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 No, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. People should watch it. If you, if, if, if you have a young girl, this is, this is the movie for them. They, they, you know, who knows, who knows what kids like these days, but I think it's a good movie. I think, and again, I think if you present this to your daughter at an appropriate age in a couple of years, I think that that's completely fine. And then if she wants to rewatch it when she's 15 and Mm -hmm. say, dad, this movie's about sex. She can tell you that, but I mean, I'm guessing that even yeah. at a younger age, we all take what we do. I mean, I have friends where I saw movies that were a little more art house in nature, you mm-hmm. know, not just a dumb comedy. Um, and we took completely different things away from the movie. They were both yeah. themes in the movie, but yeah. we completely took different things away at the end of the day. And that's why it's so fun to see a movie and then discuss it with someone. Cause it's not just about what you watched. It's um, more interesting to hear what other people thought of it. Well, also too, like, like, especially with what we're, how we're talking about the movie, especially it's just like, so, like, Oh, I saw this thing. And then talking with you, I kind of see it a little different. Right. And so I think about it a little differently. So it's just like, that's, that's what's kind of cool, especially about a movie like this. It's just like, I didn't realize I could interpret this movie so many different ways. Um, it's a good movie. I like it. I like it a lot. There's also just I, the theme of just uh, loyalty and friendship of the people, the characters around her and the fact that even though she's in this crazy, confusing world, maybe it's of her own creation, but she doesn't know that at the time, mm. that she can still find comrades and um, characters and friends, even though she was kind of a loner at the beginning of the film. Yes. And yet she found this throughout her journey. And that's what I like about it, too. Oh yeah, she learned a little bit about uh, friendship. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. great. You see, although I, I recommend she finds some real friends when she you know, <laughs> back to the real world. But but I think that you know, there again, there's a thousand themes in this movie, and you can take it any way you want. But um, that's why movies are great. We dissect them, we come up mm-hmm. with theories, and we can't all look into the minds of the people who made these. So you know, we can't really ever know, especially yeah. since fortunately. Uh, two of them are dead, Jim Henson. And- <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I guess you can kind of like dig them up and maybe look in their head, but I don't know if that's the thing to do. I don't even know if that's necessary. You know what I mean? Like sometimes um, I see a movie and someone wanted me to think something about it, the director, whoever, mm-hmm. the producer, and mm-hmm. I, I, that's, I took away what I wanted to. So, well, I mean, like, you know, many painters sometimes paint something and then they're like other people find interpretations for their paintings. And it's just like, okay, if that's what it means to you. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, come on, like look at modern art, Edgar. Oh, I drew a circle in a red line. It's a symbol. <laughs> and I bet you any artist was probably like, yeah, that's what it means. I'm a genius. <laughs> uh, give me money. <laughs> you ever seen those videos where they used to like set up a fake art gallery and like they put up paintings from toddlers and they'd have like art critics walk through and try to discern what each painting meant? No, but now I want to pull a huge prank. 
That but is... You need to Google it because I guarantee there's YouTube videos. I mean, this is years ago, but I mean, I laughed so hard. Oh, this is a symbol for her yearning desire for what she didn't get to do in her early career. And it's like, no, that's a three-year-old toddler who just spit up on a piece of paper. That's amazing. I it's love that. I'm going to, I'm going to go look that. <laughs> Cause you know what? I mean, highbrow people piss me off because I love art, but at the mm. end of the day, again, you take away what you do from it. And I mean, for people to always like believe what they hear or mm. someone tells you this is good art, this is bad art. Who That's decides just, these things? Who decides these things? It's a popularity contest at that point. Yes. I, yeah, it's so ridiculous. But and yeah, they, they decide based on, oh, you have this many followers. So you're an influencer and you mean more than I do. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, that's not how the world works. We all mean something in our own different ways. And you yeah. don't need to have a million followers for your opinion to matter. Oh, absolutely. But like, for example, when we talk about this kind of stuff where it's basically a popularity contest and not so much you being an artist, it's when the guy who canned his poop, he canned all his poo and sold it for thousands, thousands. Come on. Like, are you kidding me? That's all it took to poo it into a can. And now you're like a millionaire. What? Like this world just disgusts me on so many levels it is disgusting it's disgusting that there's a guy who would do that and it's disgusting that there would be a guy to pay for it i well this is really gross too but um there's a years ago i think it was around 2003 or 4 uh christina aguilera did a rolling stone cover where she was very naked it was very sexual um, you know, running around in a pool with half her clothes on. Somebody bought the water she'd been sitting in all day. Ew. And, I, and I'm just like, the fact that A, there's perverts like that in this world just freaks me out. B, and I'm not ignorant of the world. I'm an adult. I know what people do, but like, that's <sighs> disgusting. And B, how do we get to that point, you know? And, and I think about today's society and again, the way that people decide whose opinions matter and whose don't, or, you know, you could do this ridiculously disgusting thing and someone is that bizarre that they're going to pay money for it. It's just very strange to me. Very that, strange. That is disgusting. That is, you, you bought Chris, Chris, that's, that, that's that, funny. Clara. This is why I stay at home alone these days, Edgar, because you don't know. <laughs> uh, that is so disgusting. That is, so you just bought pickled water of Christina yeah. Aguilera, just yeah, ah, yeah. ah, like I don't even like taking a bath for too long. You need to like take a shower and wash yourself properly. Uh, I don't need to be buying water. Someone said in all day. I'm good, thanks. That's I don't I, I don't even get it. I don't even I don't even get it. That's so weird. It's so. Yeah, we just live in a very 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 strange world. And again, like there's a world. There's a market for a bust of David Bowie's head and there's a market for this video game and there's a market for this. I mean, everybody has their own interests, but when do we say stop? <laughs> I don't know. But you see, the thing is too, it's like, imagine you're the guy, imagine you are the guy who's selling bizarre thing, right? Let's just say you, you sold your shoes. Someone wants your shoes, right? Because you wore them and they want to pay hundreds, thousands of dollars for your shoes. 
would you not sell your shoes for thousands of dollars, especially right now? Um, no, I definitely would, but I'd push it out of my mind what someone was doing with the object for sure. Yeah. Are they wearing them? Are they doing strange things with them? Are they I don't want to know. Them? Yeah, we I don't, don't know. I, we don't know. We don't know, and I don't want to know. Like, like if I'm, I'm going to sew in my shoes because I wore them. Uh, okay, but don't tell me what you're going to do with them. I don't even want to know. It's and that's also interesting to think about, like what rich people who have a huge disposable income like will buy. You know what I mean? Like it's like the average person has certain necessities that they need to live and thrive. And yes, we live in a consumerist world where no one is happy with what they have. You need to have the newer, bigger TV and the better, better video game console. But when you say stop, because some people collect art. Some people, you know, I understand like if I had an extra 50 grand and they're auctioning off Princess Diana's dress from this one occasion, yeah. it's first of all, it's fashion. She's someone I admire. It's worth money. She's famous. I get it. But at the same time, like, why is that a thing in our society at all? Yes. Like, why can't we just put stuff in museums for everyone to enjoy? Why do we need to buy things and have them for ourselves? Does it make the person feel big and good and better about themselves? Like, I really don't know. And also, why is that special? Why is it special? Just because a, a supposedly quote unquote special person wore it? It's just clothes. That's well, that, that's what I'm saying. Who deems these things special? It, yeah. it, it's, it should be a case by case basis, but in our society, certain things owned by certain people, worn by certain people, eaten by certain people, hair of certain people. Like, why is that a thing? Like, why? Why, why, why? Yeah, there's so many weird people. There's people just so have literally many. stolen food off of tables in restaurants with famous people to say, like, I had a green bean that so-and-so was eating. Oh. Like, that's messed up. That's beyond messed up. That's disgusting. Like, what is wrong with you? What happened in your life? Like, I I, rem I remember once grabbing um like a drumstick that was thrown. Like, someone threw a water bottle once, and I was like, eh. It was like a favorite singer of mine, but I'm like, yeah. maybe I don't need his water bottle. Um, but oh. but like, there are people that go much further than the drumstick and the water bottle, and I'm like, I don't know how you got to that place, but it's dark and scary. Yeah, it's just like people who collect the like somebody throws a mouthpiece after a UFC fight and that person wants to oh, catch it. Oh gosh. This is like that wasn't that dude's mouth. That dude's mouth is bloody. Why do you By the way, that? I'm glad I didn't uh, bet on McGregor. Oh yeah. Oh, and I told you too. I told you. I was like, it's a safe bet. <laughs> this is why I don't gamble. This is yeah. why I never gamble. But for half a second, like I don't pay attention to fights, but yeah. I find him entertaining so i thought oh maybe i'll throw my hat in and i'm really glad i didn't <laughs> oh i'm glad you didn't i wasn't sure that you were going to take it uh going to take the advice uh uh like to heart or anything i, I was hoping you didn't go by uh bet on it uh, no and it was definitely kind of a fleeting thought anyway but um again that's another that's another thing like gambling like you know people put everything on the line for something that they think might happen um there is a better way to do that and that's like buy a two dollar billion dollar lottery card and see what your chances are maybe don't throw your life savings down the drain because there's a fight on tonight <laughs> yeah oh man and i i remember thinking like huh if i put money on portier i would get 250 dollars for 100 bucks i'm like yeah yeah it's okay and and like i i had that thought and then i was like uh 
Like I never got around to it. We're going to feel bad about something like that is if like, there's something I missed an opportunity that, that like an idea, like I had an idea that I didn't run with and someone else creates that app or that idea or that product. And I missed out on that. But when it comes to betting, it's just like, eh, just, you know, let it go. Let it yeah. Go. Yeah. I'm not too worried about it, but I was surprised that he lost. I was like, wow, he lost. But in terms of like that idea, I have all these ideas that come up sometimes and there is just not enough hours in the day to kind of make them happen. Yep. And then somebody else makes it. And I'm like, damn. And it's just like, there's no way that they were in my head to know but what my know idea what? was. We all are going to have similar ideas because we watch the same things and read the same stuff. And everybody says they had that idea before that person. And at the end of the day, yeah. you just have to brush it under the rug and go and eh, call it a loss. And a great way to avoid that is like what I do when I don't want to feel sad about my life. And I don't want to fall into the trap that so many of my friends do where they follow influencers and celebrities. And why does my life not look like theirs? Mm. Just stop looking. Stop yeah. looking at their Instagram and you'll be just fine. Just get off the friggin' social media. You'll be good. <laughs> oh, social media. It's funny. Your because, life, man. Yeah. It's funny because I, you know, you and I have, have to both do it for different reasons. Like, you know, but like, ah, if, if, if there was a world where I didn't have to use it, I wouldn't. Oh, I agree. I mean, my mom laughs at me when I say I, I could live in a cabin in the woods. She's like, you get bored in a day. I'm like, I really wouldn't. I mean, I'd start talking to myself like a crazy person. <laughs> but, I mean, we all know that, but I would not, or I'd talk to the forest animals or something. Um, but that's probably more likely scenario. I'd make them like little jackets and stuff. And I'd become the crazy lady in the woods. Um, but like, you have fur and feathers, but let me make you a little coat. Um, I can see you naming like the chipmunks. Like, hello, oh, Mr. Chippy sure. Chip. <laughs> oh, please. I already, there's a forest preserve by me where there's like a nature preserve. And I've already named all the owls in there. And I, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. They don't, don't have names, but I've given them names. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> But we all have to do what makes us happy. But I really do feel like um, there's a new, um, so it's already an app called Headspace. I haven't heard. Oh, I have heard of it. Yes. Was it like a meditation yeah, app or? Yeah. So, but they now have a Netflix show where you can just turn on an episode at the end of each episode. Oh. There's like a guided meditation. And I have to tell you the times I've just turned my phone off or put it on airplane mode. I mean, obviously not during the workday, but like after. I mean, yes, I should be social. I should be talking to all my friends and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes you just need to like zone out and take care of yourself and get off social media. And it it, it feels like you don't even need to meditate though. Cause meditation's not always been part of my life at all. I think you just need to get off the damn phone and focus at the people in your life right now in front of you. And if there's no one in front of you, then focus on you and do something for yourself. That's not scrolling aimlessly through garbage. I 100% agree. I've, I've done this thing where I'm not, I'm not getting off. I'm getting off the phone only because I want to have my own thoughts. I, I consume so many things during the day for various reasons. There was a point in my day I was like, okay, I, my head is full of other people's stuff. I want to sit and process some of this. What do I think about some of these things? You know, do I want to continue to listen to this thing? What do I think about what this person said? What are my thoughts on just other things that are, that are happening in my life? Like 
I am so consumed. I am so in like stuck in all these other things feeding me information that I don't have a moment to myself where I can think about stuff, whether, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, something creative, whether it's something, just a thought that I like to have. Even or just processing, like you said, processing. processing. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it, it's so difficult because we're always getting slammed with information. There's always emails, tweets, uh, Instagram messages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's always another thing you have to do. Uh, it, it's, it's gotten hard to do it, but I try to take at least 30 minutes and I feel like 30 minutes is not even enough. No. But usually, usually I try to do it. I have a little more time in the morning. And instead of like, because sometimes I put on a podcast and I'll listen to a podcast and I'll work out. But lately I've been just putting on like repetitive music mm-hmm. just so that I can have my own thoughts. Music without words, just soundtrack stuff. This is, um, this is something that I think a lot of people like don't understand about me, but I, I think that I don't understand them. I have a lot of friends that are constantly listening to podcasts. And for me, there needs to be a moment where I feel like they're the type, there's a lot of them that are borderline ADHD for sure, where they always have to be making something or doing something or seeing someone or their life means nothing. And for me, having a soundtrack or I listen to um, upbeat focus study music, mm-hmm. that is so much better for me because you're going to get new ideas and get off on tangents when you're listening to a podcast or watching a TV show or whatever. If you're just listening to something that you can enjoy and think to, it changes your world. It just changes your whole mindset. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of lo-fi hip hop. I'll listen to that and I'll listen to um, just movie Julian soundtracks. Julian uh, he was on this weekend. Julian was on. Yes, he was on this weekend and he was playing and I was listening to him earlier today. And I was like, oh, is he just going to babble on? Because he was complaining about Facebook. And then he like started talking. He he put on the music. He put on the music. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I was like, yeah. And I just, I was like boogieing while I was like working and stuff. It was cool. It was, it was just to uh like sometimes i'll throw on like jock jams or something and just like return to a simpler time of when you didn't have as many responsibilities and just enjoy the music and let it flow over you and just don't think about it It, it's funny because after like after i did that uh 80s music podcast with my cousin primo and, and then i talked to you a little bit on online i was like huh and i started thinking about just like you know alternative new wave music, et cetera, music from like the late eighties, early nineties. And I just started playing lately. I've been playing a lot of Depeche Mode, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of Erasure, a lot of New Order. And that is like, man, I mean, I didn't grow up with that the same way you did Mm because I'm a couple years younger, but I still like relate to that music and listen to it. And it takes me back. And it's just such like, it calms me down. It's good music. It is good music. I feel like an old man listening to jazz. Like, like, like you know how how old old people listen to jazz. I feel that's what I'm doing with new wave. You know, not that anybody calls it new wave anymore, but like I'll sit there and I was listening to the Depeche Mode and I was just listening, and I'm like, wow, I forget how good this music is. Like, 
Is it because I'm old? Is it because I'm old and that I, I can finally appreciate music, or is it because I'm it's there's a nostalgia factor to it? I don't there's know what it is. Reminiscing in there for sure. There's definitely reminiscing, but there's also sometimes you don't have to think about who you were with or what you were doing or what you were wearing, what year it was. Sometimes you just listen to it and it comforts you because it's from your past and you enjoyed it then and you're enjoying it again now at a different point in your life. That's all. Yeah, I think so. And th there's also like a uh the 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 old part of that music that music that nobody really plays that synthesis kind of type of music that that bang 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 song sound yep. it, it's mm -hmm. it was like it like you said it's comforting i, mean, I heard I, i'm like oh i remember music used to sound like this this is what this kind of genre of music was and everybody played it like this and and it's, and it's just, not just your brain, it's your body. Cause it's like the vibration of the music. Like you just like, it comforts you. It really does. Like, and I think that if more people took the time to slow down and do that kind of stuff to what makes them happy like that, people would be a lot more chill than they are in terms of what I've seen. Every time I leave my house and drive, I'm like, people are out of their freaking minds. There, Y'all need to turn down whatever crazy music you're listening to and slow down and chill out. <laughs> that is hilarious because I see them too. They're like they're like bumping music super loud. I'm like, dude, it is eight o'clock in the morning. Why are you bumping your stereo that loud in your car? Even out here in the burbs, people do that stuff. I'm like, what is what? Come on, you're not that you're not that hardcore, bud. Ch chill out. I'll drive past and I and I'm thinking why are my neighbors turning on music right now it's so early or so late it's so annoying and then I realize it's a car going by and I'm like why can I hear your music yeah. three floors up in my brick building like yeah. why you know it's funny They're because floating their own brains for Christ's sake it, it's funny I I don't have a problem with it when I think about when I was a kid because I lived on a busy street when I was a kid and everybody played their house music or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was, but you know, it's, it's like a different time, but I remember in the middle of the night hearing somebody's loud ass stereo when I was a kid and thinking, what an asshole, you know, but there, but I do have fond memories of, of like walking down the street, you know, on a night, summer night, hearing the stereo going and being like, yeah, you know, but yeah. Yeah. And that's, of your past but i think that at the same time you can recognize the fact that there's like there's beauty and quiet but sometimes it's too quiet you know sometimes you need that city background noise that you're used to that you grew up with yeah it's you know again there's a nostalgia for, uh, factor to it but yeah so we got like neighbors to pump it ask your neighbors to pump them up. <laughs> i don't know if my neighbors even like my, my neighbor across the street, he's, I think he's Polish. Um, and he probably listens to some kind of electro or dance music of some sort. <laughs> I'm making a blanket assumption based on my entire neighborhood and the part that I'm back for Polish, but well, yeah. well, that guy, that guy's in his sixties. So I don't oh, know. Then maybe, maybe I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what he actually listens to, but I'd be interested polka, to hear. Polka. Of course it's the polka. That would, that would be hilarious. I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but yeah. So we got like two hours in the can right now. I think we're good. I think so. We hit on, we hit on enough topics for about a year. <laughs> we 
went deep down that rabbit hole into I don't know where, but I mean, that's the, the beauty of everything is that like, if you make art, you shouldn't be making it just for yourself. You make it for the masses and then everybody takes away from it what they want to. And for musicals, I think that that's a pretty varied list that I served up for you there. There's a lot of random stuff going on. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff though. I really liked it. I, I like, I like every single one of these movies I, and I can't believe how much I like once, you know, like I'm I, glad you need to finish it. Cause it's literally only like an hour and a half long. Anyway, I got, I got, I swear to you, I got like 20 minutes left. Um, and I haven't, I haven't had a chance. I haven't had 20 minutes, but it is, it, it's, uh, I, I just don't, I don't, maybe I wasn't mature enough when I uh, watched it the first time, it's, but I, it's also, it's a, it's not a slow burn. I wouldn't say that. Cause it's not a long movie. I would say it's more so it's subdued. And when we're so used to watching big flashy movies, mm -hmm. it's a moment to just slow down and like take a breath. And some people aren't always ready to take the breath, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very intimate movie. And I like the fact that there's only like really two main characters. It's great. I love, I'm telling you right now, the before movies, before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight, I think. Is that the third one? And then there should be another one in the next 10 years, hopefully. Um, but they are, they are really, I mean, there's other characters here and there a little bit, but it's just the two characters talking about life and it's very enjoyable and romantic. And I think you and your wife would like it. I'm going to check it out. That sounds really interesting. Plus, beautiful cities they're in. They're always somewhere really pretty. And that's always nice too. I think Prague is the first one, um, but it's always just, it's pretty people, pretty stories, pretty things, but it's like deep topics. It's not just garbage. They talk about politics. They talk about all kinds of stuff. It's, it's interesting. interesting. And it's a, it's a movie movie or is it like a documentary? No, it's movie, but um, mm. so the three movies are by Richard Linklater, uh, Link, mm. Linklater and um, the Julie Delpy is the actress. She's French and Ethan Hawke is the uh, American, obviously. He plays the American in the story. And um, it really is just them walking and talking. It's a walking and talking movie. Okay. I'll, I'm, yeah. I, I have it on here. I'm going to check it out for sure. I'll let you know cool. what I think. The first one is really short. The other ones get a little longer, but um, the writing is, it's, they do improv a little bit, but the, the, there is a script and man, lots of words. I do not know how these people memorize all that. But they did. <laughs> all them. Right. Cool. All right, Emily. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Or dude. Yeah. <laughs> dude, girl. All right, dude. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is Edgar Otra vez. And Emily, uh, thank dude. you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. The music I use throughout is entitled Be Right There, and it's by Umi. You can find them over at Epidemic Sound. I hope you enjoyed it. As you heard, I had plenty of laughs. We're working on a website. We'll be, you'll be able to go over there and see some show notes and etc. Also, it'll be linked to the store. So you'll be able to go from the, from the website to the store. And that's coming soon. And the website will be located at theflowrollpodcast.com. In the meantime, you can still head on over to shop.theflowrollpodcast.com and get some merchandise. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram as The Flow Roll. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>